Frank, we got to kick off this episode of Phone Booth Fighting talking about our brand new sponsor, Earth's Brew, the smarter, alcohol-free way to relax. Frank, I've been enjoying it, and I know you have too. Yeah, it's actually a pretty cool supplement. It's uh, it's it's uh, innovative. It's a, a new way to kind of uh, think about taking a drink if you want to. You know, normally it's an alcohol drink or you know, a glass of wine that I'll sit back and relax. And here's a non-alcoholic way for some people, such as yourself, that don't want to go that route, that uh, can still kind of get that just ease down and just uh, kind of you know still be mentally productive, but not at the same time uh, you know putting anything on their liver. Well, you hit the nail right on the non-alcoholic head, Frank. It does not contain alcohol in. Instead, it is powered by plants, plant-based, and that makes a vegan like me happy. Using a precise blend of ingredients to create a new paradigm in herbal relaxation and focus. It's sweetened with stevia, so as I have been telling our listeners, it's got a a mild sweetness, uh, sweet taste to it. I uh, liken it to kind of like a a mild lemonade. Nothing real tart like that, but it's got a nice citrusy, sweet taste to it with the the stevia. It's also got uh, turmeric in it which, of course, is an anti-inflammatory, and that's a nice little thing to have as well for your uh, late-in-the-evening beverage, especially if you're, uh, I don't know, maybe coming back from Drysdale Jiu-Jitsu like you and I are known to do. I actually like what you said because, look, bottom line is there's a very small (laughs) uh, percentage of the population that are going to ingest something on a daily basis that just doesn't taste good. And the fact that this is actually pleasurable to drink, I think, is actually probably one of the biggest bonuses. Go to earthsbrew.com to find out more about what Frank and I are talking about. Here's the most important part, the money savings part. Right now, exclusively for phone booth fighting listeners, you can get 10% off all of your orders if you enter the promo code phone booth at checkout. That's 10% off all of your orders at earthsbrew.com by entering phone booth at checkout. Support phone booth fighting the podcast, uh, our sponsors, and great fellow listeners uh, like yourself, John and Joe, and uh, Earthsbrew. You won't be sorry. And uh, tell them that phone booth fighting sent you real water frank has been keeping us hydrated for quite some time now on the phone booth fighting podcast get real at drinkrealwater.com. uh they also got a nice little offshoot of a uh, mixed martial arts promotion that i was a part of this past weekend i know you were traveling internationally but uh real mma had their 13th fight card put on at Samstown Casino here in Las Vegas, and it was a sellout. Uh, Not a seat to be had in the house. You can uh, find out the nearest location to get real water uh, today by going to uh, drinkrealwater.com. Bottled water that uh, Frank Mir and myself, Richard Hunter, drink exclusively here on the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast. You know, another great way to support Phone Booth Fighting, Frank, is by going to our website, pbfpodcast.com. That's pbfpodcast.com. And clicking on that Amazon banner. Click through the Amazon banner to do all of your shopping on Amazon, just like you would do normally. But do it through pbfpodcast.com and the Amazon banner, and that will help support our show. Tell your friends that if they're going to be shopping on Amazon anyway, to go to pbfpodcast.com, click on that Amazon banner, and help support your favorite podcast phone booth fighting also official show merchandise is available at phoneboothfightingshop.com i'm talking about multiple styles of t-shirts in all sizes all the way up to 3xl frank i shipped a 3xl t-shirt to australia today that's right i had to stop by the indian springs post office once again where everybody knows your name and life moves real slow. And I was in there for about 30 minutes, 
shipped a couple of packages to Australia, shipped one to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and I think one to Huntington Beach, California. And there might have been an Irish package in there along the way, if memory serves. But we've got the T-shirts up there, uh, multiple styles. We've got the autographed uh, retro old-school phone booth fighting fight poster that is available. And uh, you can get all of your official gear by going to phoneboothfightingshop.com. Another great way to support the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast. But, you know, our favorite way for us to support is, uh, you know, is to tell a friend. And then on top of that, a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, this one coming from Little Miss Crod. One of the best podcasts I've heard lately. There are they are very knowledgeable of the sport of MMA, especially since Frank Mir is a fighter in the UFC and how Richard Hunter covers MMA. I became a fan of the podcast because Frank Mir is always uh, is and always will be one of my favorite fighters and his humor and how he is with his family is amazing. I hope to meet Frank Mir one day and I'd love to conversation with him is on my bucket list. Keep up the good work and party on in Mayor Nation. Thank you, little Miss Claude. Here's one from Minetti75, Frank, entitled Great Show, Great Stories. A five-star review. He says, love the stories. I hope you all get on YouTube. Guess what, uh, Minetti75? We have a YouTube channel. It's called Phone Booth Fighting. And um, there is, uh, at the moment, a couple of little mini documentaries, behind-the-scenes stuff that we filmed that uh, is up there. But in the coming weeks, we, the uh, furniture just arrived today for our studio and uh, we're going to get that thing outfitted this weekend and so here in about another week or two we will have a video simulcast companion to the phone booth fighting podcast so you're going to get your wish we appreciate you going on itunes clicking on those five stars and uh writing a nice little review that we got to read here on the air give us one more frank well just real quick your half can be the studio my half of the room's the bunker okay Uh, the bunker i like the i like the sound of the bunker better yeah. I like the sound. That, that, that explains the earth mover in the backyard that's uh, uh, working overtime, digging the big hole. <laughs> this one titled Awesome Podcast by Sav171. A very entertaining and enjoyable podcast. Hands down, my favorite to listen to. Frank and Richard's knowledge of mixed martial arts world is second to none. And their level-headed opinions on various subjects of the world are easy to respect. Thank you, Saf. Appreciate you uh, taking a moment to write a kind word or two about us on iTunes. You guys are uh, killing it on the iTunes page. If you haven't done that yet, we really would appreciate you just going to uh, iTunes, look up Phone Booth Fighting, click on those five stars, write a line or two if you have a moment. We love to read those on the air, and it really does help us in the iTunes rankings. And uh, we're starting to get noticed more and more there. And so we really appreciate you guys doing it, supporting the show. And as Frank said, uh, above and beyond Anything else, the best thing that you can do for us is just tell a friend. Spread the word about phone booth fighting. We're going to grow this thing one listener at a time. I don't know if you realize where you are, Frank. Uh, This is your home. Uh, this is, uh, uh, you may have noticed some people walking around. Those are your children. They've, they've grown, uh, a bit probably since you've seen them last. How long have you, uh, been away from, from home? And I guess more importantly, how many different countries have you been in since you've been home? Well, two weeks ago I left for, uh, the ACB 52 Mm -hmm. that was in Vienna, Austria. And I, you know, I had to go through, uh, uh, England or London, I was out a little bit in that airport hanging out, and uh, 
I was there, and then I flew back <laughs> for about half a day. Uh, got stuck in L.A. for a little bit, ran into John McCarthy and a couple, uh, you know, and uh, his wife, um, Elaine. And then uh, from there, I got to come home for. I got home finally about eleven thirty at night, and I was, my plane left the next morning at ten a.m. <laughs> so I got to change my baggage <laughs> out and hang out with the kids for a little bit. <laughs> and then I flew down to Australia. Uh, I was down there. I went to Sydney and then up to Brisbane and then to the Gold Coast. And so uh, I got back uh, Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. I finally arrived, which uh, <laughs> almost didn't happen. <laughs> so, oh, that almost didn't happen. Yeah, I didn't tell you exactly what happened yet. No. You want to hear? Yeah. <laughs> okay. First of all, I'm not going to blame uh, specifically anybody. Uh, somehow in the jungle, the juggle of James McSweeney's event, which... Had not one single uh, fight go to decision. Uh, the longest oh. fights had two go into the second round. Everything else was a first round submission or a knockout. You had guys even falling for heel hooks. Uh, exciting card to call with Sam Greco, uh, you know, uh, and Brad next to me. And so, uh, you know, that part was exciting. A couple of good seminars, uh, uh, hanging out. You know, I got to see uh, one of the owners of the Jim Ross down there in Brisbane. I was down to get to visit again. Uh, great experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, so first of all, they say, oh, well, you're not flying out till Monday. And uh, it was at 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, ah, oh, well, that sucks. You know, that's a lot of downtime. The card got done on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, leaving Sunday would be nice. But okay, if there's just, you know, the way things work, tickets are already booked. That's what they had available. So I was told that the flight was at 11 o'clock. So, uh, you know, uh, James's wife, uh, Erica, makes us dinner uh, Monday, Sunday night. I spend the night at his house instead of staying in the hotel. Uh, you know, they say, oh, we don't have to leave till, you know, eight o'clock at night. I'm like, yeah, I'd rather leave at seven. You know, it's better to be there early than late. I really don't want to make take a chance of missing my flight. So uh, we get down there and we come to find out that the flight was at 11 o'clock a.m. No. Yeah. So I'm, you know, <laughs> quite late. <laughs> Oh, no. And now there's no one working the desk. That plane's almost home. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, there's no one working the desk. No, because they don't have any flights going on. Oh. So, now, uh, let me ask, where did the confuse? who didn't read the uh, itinerary? It wasn't me. Okay. <laughs> okay. That must have been awkward. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, uh, there was a lot of flights going in and out. So the persons that were responsible for it, you know, uh, basically they flew like, you know, 30 people into the show and out and yeah. only messed up one flight and it was mine. Yeah. <laughs> so in one hand, hey, great percentages, uh, but damn, I'm the one that got screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's where it gets hairy. So uh, James gets on the phone, finds out that it's a $500 charge to not only cancel the ticket you know because we didn't make the flight but to rebook oh, the next day right? really yeah and then now here's the thing i've realized about myself specifically is that if i at least think i have the truth on my side i'm a great debater you know if you want to yeah. argue back yeah. and forth i'm pretty good about making my case i'm not good about making my case when i know i'm lying do you know what I mean? Like, okay. the, I'm just not that guy. Like, if I know I'm full of shit, you know, like in one sense, you know, uh, you mm. know, even if I'm in a heated debate, if I realize I'm in the wrong, I, you know, oh shit, oh, I pull okay. up really quick. Right? So you, I see. So you, like, you had to call the airline and invent a grandma dropping dead real quick or something. Correct, but it wasn't me because I couldn't do it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. James, and also, too, I don't know if it's the English accent. Yes, but people just bought everything he said, right? 
So he tells him I had some kind of heat stroke, so I missed the flight, and then his wife had called, but she wasn't authorized to tell everything. So <laughs> so that's how this goes. Hmm. Only problem is that his wife had already called and said that we just missed the flight because we misunderstood the times. Oh, she wasn't there with you when no. all this happened. No. So James spoke to a young lady that was very helpful about the whole thing. Like, all right, no problem. And he's like, hey, do I got to bring anything tomorrow? No, no, it's fine. Just do it. Uh, but he didn't have his credit card at the time because we were en route, so we had to get to the house. He got his card. He called back. By the way, by the way, heat stroke, an interesting choice. Can I just ask what the fictitious circumstances surrounding well, your heat stroke were? I went to the beach. It's a very uh, <laughs> sunny place there <laughs> and uh, and suffered a little bit too much sun. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> So, that's how hot it was. <laughs> I got heat stroke from yeah. the uh, from the uh, the bedroom. So, anyways, yeah. uh, so when James calls back, he now talks to this guy okay. that was the one that his wife had called, oh. and he's like, well, "No, contradicting story. What are you saying? This and that." What are the chances of that? That you call it get the same guy? Right. And now, for whatever reason, this guy feels that even though he's an employee of the airplane, the 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 uh, the. Uh, uh, Travel or what's the word I'm looking for? Airline. Airline. Thank okay. you. Shit. Yeah. And uh, that it, we're taking money directly out of his pocket. Mm. You know, one of those employees. It's like, come on, buddy. What do you care? Yeah. You know? But he cared. Cared so much that he even left notes in there because basically they argued and, you know, it seemed like it was okay. So then James in the morning drops me off about three hours early because it's an hour and a half drive, about an hour drive from uh, uh, the Gold Coast of Brisbane to the airport. So we get there. I, I get there literally at 8 a.m., a few minutes before even, and um, my flight's not till 11.10. So I go to check in. It doesn't let me check in. So I talk to one of the ladies. She has a problem also, so she has to walk over to her manager. Then the manager walks over to me and goes, well, it says here you have a, you know, your wife called. I'm like, well, hold on, my wife didn't call. And then if you let me finish speaking, I'm like, uh-oh. I can see where this is going mm-hmm. because you're treating me like I'm being rude and I'm not being rude. Mm-hmm. So you're assuming that I'm a dick. I'm and already. I'm going, Oh man, whoever he spoke to last night must've put notes in there that, you know, that yeah. I was confrontational and, and I've never even been on the phone with anybody. So, so they're thinking you're James. James at this I think point. so. Okay. So and that was the only part. You even faked a British accent. Well, that was the thing. Like, well, we haven't recorded, you know, that you were saying this. I'm like, and then that was the only smart-ass part I had about it. I was like, really? You have it recorded, huh? Mm-hmm. Because James and I sound right. remarkably different. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'm sure they could tell the difference between a fake English accent that some American is trying. You know, I'm not pulling the Madonna here, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, so I'm like, all right. So then they, you know, they sit there. I'm like, look, I don't have any problems, this, that. You know, I went through this. I have, you know. And so uh, she goes, well, now, because that was said, you know, you had a heart attack. I'm like, do I look like I had a heart attack? Oh, now she's elevated it to a heart attack? <laughs> now I'm at a heart attack stroke? level, right? She said heart attack? Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm like, did anybody say heart attack? You know? Wow. Uh, and then, she, uh, and so now they hand me a piece of paper and tell me that I can't fly until I have a medical release. <laughs> What? Yeah. So now, like, I drop into a dead sweat. I'm like, oh shit! I I, I should have been home Sunday. It's Tuesday, and I'm still not home. And I might not be leaving until tomorrow. Now, now let me ask you: at any point when this dawns on you and you start breaking out into the sweat and all that, did it did it occur to you in the back of your mind? 
I think I'm having a heat stroke. <laughs> no, I did think though that I wasn't making my case because yeah. the, the sheer panic in my face and my response was probably I probably looked like if they were like if they had to call the doctor over right now and gave me a medical I might not have passed it. You know, yeah. they'd have been like, "Dude, why your heart rate is a uh, 140 beats per minute?" I'm like, "Dude, I'm stressed out. I just want to go home. I haven't been home in two weeks. Yeah. I was supposed to leave two days ago. Like this is just getting crazy." Yeah, and so. uh so at this point, I don't have my phone's not working because international. I'm having issues with it. Uh, sometimes the phone works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm. But at least I can hook into the Wi-Fi. So I hook into the Wi-Fi, use the old WhatsApp, and so I'm trying to text James now. Like you know, basically, I mean, I, I, quote unquote, I said I'm fucked. Yeah, get back here now, help yeah. me out. You know what I mean? Like I need a phone if I'm gonna start doing this. So James finally gets back there. We're talking. Like, do you have a doctor? We have doctors. So we're going through trying to figure out no. what we can do. Um, <laughs> we take a picture of the fo- of the sheet. Yeah, I finally. A friend back home who's a physician, I, and I don't know if I, you know, I won't say his name because I don't know if it'll get him in trouble. Because he's oh. probably not licensed to practice in Australia. No, no, yeah, I don't even know how that works because I was sitting there going, "Wait a minute." Well, first they were like well, an Australian doctor, and then I kind of called him on that bullshit, going, yeah. "Wait a minute, a physician's a physician. Basically, you're saying we need a physician to take on the responsibility of your health to give you a clearance." Come on. I mean, on an airplane, if all of a sudden someone's having a heart attack, they don't go, we need a doctor to the front, but we're over international waters and we're yeah. closer to Australia. So you have to be licensed in Australia to practice medicine on this guy who's having a heart attack. Obviously, that's not the case, right? Yeah. So then that's what I'm like, because we're trying to find a doctor's office that's opened within five miles at this time in the morning. Yeah. So the clock's ticking, clock's ticking. So then I'm able to send it back to my physician who, you know, a friend back here in the States. They fill it out and try to send it back. They tell me now. So I finally get up there now. We're about an hour and a half before my flight leaves. This has taken us an hour and a half to get to this point between Wi-Fi disconnecting. At one mm. point, James's phone and, goes and dead. But, we have but to... let, me just, let me just be clear. So this doctor examined you over WhatsApp, right, and was able to... <laughs> FaceTime to be exact. <laughs> I was able to FaceTime. I'm like, look, I'm fine. Like, he's like, really? Is anything? I'm like, we lied. I'm like, James lied to get a discount on the ticket, and now my ass is paying the price. Okay. Like, I don't know what to do here. Like, but now they're pissed at him, and they're taking yeah. it out on me. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so, at one point, we're running back down to the car because our phones are going dead. So, we're trying to charge cars. We're going up and through this. And, and at one point, like I'm thinking, man, security might stop us because we're sitting here and we just look like two crackheads freaking yeah. out trying to get this figured out. You know what I mean? Under pressure. Nervously fidgeting with uh, electronic devices. Yes. Yeah. So uh, so then we get back up to the front. Like, look, I have it done. I had a physician. You know, my, you know, my personal physician took care of it. We couldn't get hold of the practicing physician last night. They're like, okay, that's fine. The paper has to be faxed here. But it's international facts. And now I'm upstairs. The Wi-Fi signal's not working as well, and James's phone is dead. So I'm having a hard time communicating back home to the States. And my friend's secretary. At How his, long until the plane takes off at this point? Oh, oh, we're about an hour and 15 minutes when I finally all I have to do is fax it. So now we're okay. at the desk. They're faxing it. 15 minutes goes by. There's no fax. Now I hit the one-hour mark. It's international. I still got to go through security. I got to right. go through customs. Right. So I'm sitting there looking at them. And I think because of just our conversations going back and forth, they finally start to feel bad for me and realize that, look, someone had a problem with one of us and it wasn't me. Yeah. I haven't been a dick this whole time. Even while they're stressing the shit out of me, even while they were being 
very rude towards me, thinking that I was the problem, even though they didn't understand the full situation. They kind of jumped the gun a little bit. Yeah. Now they're starting to backtrack. They're starting to help me. Now one of the ladies behind the desk goes, look, uh, it's not coming through. I'm like, I know it's an international fact. She goes, well, mm-hmm. can you, you know, how, I'm like, well, I could email it to you. I have it here on my phone. She goes, okay, I'll sign into my email. You email it to me. I'll print it out. So now all of a sudden the helpfulness is starting to occur. Yeah. And then <laughs> we finally get, you know, finally gets cleared. They say, I can go back to the desk, go ahead and go into the business line. You know, they'll help you out at the front. So now it's the original lady that bit my head off to begin with. <laughs> so now she you looks again. at me. Yeah. So no, but now she's being nice to me, you know, okay. and then she says, she goes and she starts to put my passport through. She goes, Oh, Hey, did you have a problem coming down before I can answer? James answers, right? <laughs> no. He goes, no. And then I'm like, well, actually I did because my last name is the third. You know, oh, I have a that again. Every time, every time I travel, my name is a problem because I am Francisco Santos Mir the third. That fucking third is the worst thing to ever happen to me in my entire existence of travel, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. every time no one puts in, some people go I, capital I, I, I. Some people put in lowercase L, L, L. Some people just put in capital I, then baby I, I. Like it's just lowercase I. I mean, it's just, it's a nightmare to deal yeah. with. It always flags and I always have to deal with. So then I let her know, don't miss. I did have an issue every time I travel because my last name, the suffix, and then she looks over at James and goes, this is the problem with you two. You keep answering for him and it's just this and you causing him problems and i'm sitting there so she kind of gives i think finally james you know a little bit of a tongue lashing that she's wanted to deliver and now she finally found the right person right i think she's feeling bad that i got it now she's like oh it's you that i want to get yeah (laughs) so then as she's getting him i'm sitting there going oh shit please because james doesn't really have the personality to take that from something i'm like oh please james don't i'm just like I'm about one sentence from being arrested right now, right? <laughs> James kind of looks over at me, and I kind of look at him like that pleading look like, man, you just take that. Yeah. <laughs> Please just take it. And he's like, well, you know, and his, you know, his accent from England, oh, well, I'm glad you're here, you know? Like, uh, you know, thank goodness you're here. I'm like, all right, you know, that, that was acceptable. That was within the lines of a, a retort. So then they give me the little pass that I can go through. And so uh, with 50 minutes left, I'm able to run through security uh, and run through customs. Again, my passport flags, but thank goodness there wasn't a line. I got through and I literally got to the plane just as they were like, Francisco Mir, <laughs> calling Francisco Mir. And then I was there, thank goodness. So I got to make it on the plane. And then I, you know, crammed in the back, stuck there, but I was never so happy to be uncomfortable in my life. That's the problem with you too. I like that line. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, how I almost didn't make it back home. How long of a flight back? Um, actually, it wasn't that bad going from, from Brisbane to L.A. It's like a little over 12 hours. Uh-huh. Yeah. Going there, because I flew into uh, uh, Sydney, was 15 hours. So, wow. yeah, uncomfortable in the back, crammed up, you know, especially someone my size. Not yeah. Me. But, hey, you know, got to do what you got to do. Well, I uh, I admire your uh, commitment as a uh, international MMA ambassador. You uh, <laughs> you you definitely uh, put in your time these last couple of weeks. Now, while you were in Australia, we kind of figured out. You know, we have taped. Uh, we we've done phone booth fighting international episodes uh, a handful of times before, especially now that you're doing uh, color commentary for ACB. So, uh, you know, we, we've hooked up in a variety of places and, and uh, gotten the podcast done. I think we kind of figured out that 
Australia is our kryptonite. That's the one because of the difference in time zone. Yeah, it's just really tough one. to work out. Yeah, they're 16 hours ahead. Yeah. So, like, basically, at the beginning of the day, I talked to you for a few minutes. Yeah. If you're into the day and then vice versa. Yes. Because I think one day I was like, okay, just, you know, by the time tonight when you're waking up, uh, we'll go. And then it was like 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my thing. I'm like, it's only like 4 a.m. to him. Yeah. Oh, damn. What was I thinking? You know, I can't yeah. stay up till two in the morning right now to, you know, for him to be up at eight, you know? Yeah. So, so, uh, we were not able to connect and do a podcast from uh, Las Vegas to Australia, but we did not let that get in the way of getting our roster submitted for, uh, the 2017 season of Doug Stanhope's Celebrity Death Pool. Uh, second year that you and I have played, I've played for a number of years before that comedian, Doug Stanhope is, uh, is an old friend of mine. And every year he has an invitation league, uh, a death pool where, uh, myself now Frank and, uh, I don't know, 10 or so other folks who are friends of Doug, we enter, uh, 20 celebrities names in a pool. And it's 20 celebrities that if uh, one or more of them dies, we score points based on their age and also the circumstances surrounding their death. Now, this past year, you and I sucked. We were, I think we finished second to last and third to last in the whole entire league. But we weren't last. No, we weren't last. Uh, that's true. But uh, so the lining, come on, let's start. One of the interesting things about this league, too, is that um, everybody, with the exception of uh, of Doug, who goes by Stanhope in the league, I go by my name, and then and then you, everybody else has like screen names. And uh, I'm not sure who all is in this. Like, like Doug is is good friends with Johnny Depp. He might be playing in this. Like, I don't know for sure if he is or not. But this is our invitation only league. It's quite possible he's one of the competitors. But everybody has like fake names and little funny avatars. Except you're just Frank Mir, and it's your UFC bio picture. <laughs> so it's just shirtless. Right, we gotta there. clean that up. <laughs> so. You're there in the league. Now, here was the deal. It kind of uh, snuck up on me that it was time to submit our rosters. You are already over in Australia. So I'm WhatsApping you, and I'm saying, hey, you know, we got to get our rosters in. You're working on yours and everything. So the deadline's approaching. I think because of the time difference, we're only like four hours away from the rosters locking. Okay. And so I told the league's commissioner, he's like, hey, are you and Frank playing? This is a money league. So this invitation only league. So it's like, you know, there's, there's money on the line. So, you know, you, you want to be on the up and up with everybody. And I said, well, you know what? I said, just, um, I haven't heard back from Frank. I know he's working on it, but just submit his picks from last season. That'll, that'll fill that out. And then you had two kills. You had, uh, Fidel Castro and Muhammad Ali yep. died last year. Though Both those guys were on your roster. So I said, because he'll need two to replace them, just pick his first two alternates, plug that in. So the commissioner's uh, Joby, he's like, yeah, no problem. You know, So I'll do it, do it that way. So he gets those in. I get my roster in. I'm at Real MMA the other night watching the fights, and the, the clock strikes uh, midnight. I think midnight mountain time is when it locked. So I'm like, ooh, time to look and see who all – did their picks and and who got what and all that. I look at your roster and 
it was announced, I'm going to say within less than an hour of the rosters locking. I'm going to say 45 minutes or so after the rosters locked that one of your picks from last season, British actor John Hurt, who famously played the Elephant Man, died. You, sir, Frank Mir, score a kill worth 73 points, including 50 points in bonuses, 50, uh, 25 points because it was a solo pick, meaning you were the only person in the league that's picked him, and another 25 points because you got the first blood bonus. You were the first person in the season to have a kill. Get 50 bonus points on top of the 23 points that were assigned uh, to his age equation, and there's you sitting in first place. There we go. Of the death pool. And probably has the record though, right? It is it has been confirmed. I checked with the commissioner. You are now responsible for the fastest kill in death pool history. There we go. Have like the fastest submission in uh, heavyweight uh, championship history. Just and like that. Fastest kill in death pool. <laughs> which one which one feels like more of an accomplishment? Uh. This one's feeling pretty good, man. This, this one is pretty – I mean, you want to talk about likelihood. Uh, there, there's a whole league full of people who are marveling at your prowess right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, congratulations. Should we review – and by the way, we uh, are going to set up a league uh, for our listeners to play along. Now, this won't be in Doug's league. That That's an invitation-only league. But I have created a uh, phone booth fighting – league just for our listeners to play along with myself and frank and um it's uh it's either free i think it might be like two bucks or three bucks there's maybe like a little small admin fee but it's basically free uh for for our listeners to play if you want to play in the league we've got spots for 18 people it's going to be a 20 person league uh, with uh, uh, two of the spots being taken up by myself and Frank. And I'll tell you what, we'll, we're not going to play for money, but we'll put a, uh, a phone booth fighting uh, merchandise prize pack on the line for uh, the winner. And uh, if, if Frank or I win the league, then we'll just go to whoever got second place. But go to Doug Stanhope's CelebrityDeathPool.com and search phone booth fighting in the funeral homes section. And uh, you'll see it. And if you're one of the first 18 people to jump in there, you can play along with us. And I'll set this thing for, uh, I don't know, I'll give it about a week or so for you guys to fill out your rosters so everybody's got time to play. And we'll have a couple of uh, podcast episodes to plug it on. But uh, just to give you an idea, let's look at uh, Frank's roster that's got him in first place here real quick. Shall we do that? All right. Uh, Frank, you, of course, have already uh, checked off the late great uh, – uh, John Hurt, the actor. You've got Bill Cosby in there. You got Charles Manson. He's he's knocking on death's door. They've already had him in the hospital a couple of times this year. That may pay off for you. Clint Eastwood, Dick Cheney, Hugh Hefner. You got a couple of contenders here. Hulk Hogan, um, Lindsay Lohan. That's a wild card there. Uh, because the younger the celebrity is, the more of a payoff there's going to be. And I'm sure if she dies, there'll be some bonuses there. Oh, 100% there'll be some bonuses. Overdose, Anything that's of uh, non-natural causes, for sure. You got O.J. Simpson in there. Uh, you got Ron Jeremy. That's a smart pick. You got Ron Jeremy as a solo pick, by the way. He's fallen off a lot of people's radar. You know, he just keeps on ticking, huh? He does. He is. He's personally, of anyone I know, he is the 
unhealthiest person I know in terms of how he lives, how he eats, how he takes care of himself. Uh, and I say that as a friend. I mean, I told him that a couple of years back, I said, I'm putting you in my death pool. And that was back before anybody had an eye on him. And it was about a year later, he had a heart attack. That was a weird moment when you know somebody that's uh, that's in the league. Uh, but he uh, last year was, was a hotter pick than he is uh, this year. But anyway, you've got him as a solo. Stan Lee. Uh, the creator of Spider-Man, you got him in there. Uh, so you got some, uh, you got some solid picks. Now our, uh, our, our bonus this year, there's a whole bonus structure that you guys will see if you want to play along at Doug Stanhope's celebritydeathpool.com. You'll see how the bonuses go, but every year there is a bonus for that season only. Okay. And this year it's for politicians. So, like, for example, I put uh, Bob Dole in my league, born in uh, 1923. I got uh, George H.W. Bush in there, born in 1924. He'll be a low payout because he was recently hospitalized and he's old, and uh, I, I doubt he's going to OD on heroin or anything. So, uh, you know, so, some some of these guys, the old-timers, uh, don't pay off as, as uh, much as you uh, would think they would. But Trump would be a good pick this year. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting one, you know. I mean, he probably he's, won't uh, be natural causes if something happens. He's he's seventy. Is he seventy years old? I think. I think. Right. I tell you what, the the presidency does weird things to your body. I mean, the the upside is you get awesome twenty four hour, you know, round the clock health care. But we always talk about the way those guys look when they come out, as opposed to when they go in. So uh, I've got uh, I'm heavy on uh, politicians, and I'm also heavy on uh, black celebrities because if a black celebrity dies during uh, Black History Month, that's a 25 point bonus. So I kind of go heavy on them uh, for February, and then I start trading away. You do get a trade round, by the way. Uh, once a month for 24 hours, the trade window opens. You can trade away one celebrity and pick up another. So that's how that works. So anyway, if you guys would like to play along with us, we need 18 of our most morbid listeners to go to <laughs> Doug Stanhope's CelebrityDeathPool.com. Click or search the uh, phone booth fighting uh, in the funeral home section. Join in. Like I said, I'll leave uh, registration open for about a week or so, and uh, we'll have some fun talking about that on the show. Uh, just just like you know, other people in the office would talk about their fantasy football t- pool or whatever, we'll talk about our uh, celebrity death pool. All right. Uh, speaking of Donald Trump, Frank, can you believe that it has been – uh, what, 12 days? Friday is going to be the two-week anniversary of his inauguration. Somebody said to me last week, well, this has been a crazy week. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, I mean, today's the one-week anniversary of the Trump inauguration. I was like, one week? Like, this feels like nine months. Like, what do you mean it's been one week? I mean, it really, I had to sit and think about it for a second. And I was like, Holy crap, it really has only been one week. Now, you have pretty much been out of the country for this period of time, right? I was. And then, in fact, actually, it was, you know, the news hit when he had signed in the executive order for the uh, travel ban. The travel ban. And even though I'm born in the U.S., I was like, oh, okay, there's new, you know, uh, procedures and and, and, Mm -hmm. and and whatnot to enter back in is this going to affect me or is this going to have a hard time coming through and mm-hmm. so uh 
and then I was starting to look at it, and and I actually wondered like, oh, there's the seven countries that you know people are banned from. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the seven countries, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's a lot not on that list that I would assume should uh, be on the list. Your Saudi Arabia. Well, those are the biggest one right off the bat. Like, I absolutely. mean, absolutely, fifteen to nineteen hijackers on nine eleven from, from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, is that disputed or something? No, no, that is that it's is hundred percent hundred percent fact. What the the reason that well, there's a couple of things when it when it comes to Trump, but first and foremost, Saudi Arabia is our quote unquote ally, as I use my quotation mark fingers. I mean, this goes back to the the Bush forty three administration when Prince Bandar of Saudi Arabia was going to Crawford, Texas, to Bush's ranch, and they'd walk around, they'd hold hands, you know, like the the Arab custom Arab, is yeah. and all that. Uh, and because of, of oil uh, interests and things like that, Saudi Arabia and even even, you know, Daddy Bush 41, where, you know, we pushed Iraq back out of Saudi Arabia after they encroached. I mean, we have had this tenuous relationship with Saudi Arabia. But yes, exactly. That is where uh, uh, 15 of those hijackers came from. And now you add the Trump situation on top of it, which is the fact that Donald Trump has a lot of business interests in Saudi Arabia, just like he does Egypt. And that was another country that was left off the list. Yeah, Egypt with everything that happened down there, yep. what's going on with all the uh, the revolution and the overthrow of the government and, and back and forth, the rebels. I'm like, so wait a minute, that's not on the ban list? I mean, and, and you know arguing whether you agree with the list or not but i just think it's funny when just it isn't really you know at least if you make a list if you make it to where it's like all right this is you know we can articulate facts here you know most terrorist acts are occurring from these countries and so we're going to put a little bit more on it like all right that works but when we're right off the bat you're like well we're not even really putting the guys that are doing the most damage on the list Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people like afghanistan's not on the list right uh, Afghanistan is not on the list. No, that that was a weird one to me. Mm-hmm. Afghanistan, where, where Bin Laden was, right? Yeah, they shot him, and yep, he was hiding out. Yep, That's where we right. have a lot of battling going on still, fighting. Yep, yep. It's uh, you know, now now the Trump administration's response to that is, well, maybe we need to add more countries to it. You know, okay, well, that's an interesting point. Maybe we need to uh, uh, start looking at some other ones. But uh, the thing is, I'll tell you what, uh, you're not going to see uh, countries like Saudi Arabia pop up on there. The The banned ones, by the way, are Iraq, Iran, Syria, Yemen, Sudan, Libya, and Somalia. And for UFC fans... Um, Gegard Mousasi is a little concerned all of a sudden because he's got a fight coming up. But uh, being an Iranian, he's not exactly sure how that's going to impact his travel. Oh, he can't come. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that he has lived in Holland for a number of years, he's an Iranian citizen. Well, even it's affecting. I've, I've been listening, you know, uh, the news and internet. There are people that are U.S. citizens now, passport mm-hmm. holders, right? And they just happen to have horrible timing on their traveling. Um, they were stuck. And they're stuck. And that's, see, so so that's the other thing, too, is whether or not you agree with the idea of a travel ban, you've got to decide, uh, you, you also have to answer the question of whether or not this was handled properly. Well, I think anybody who has a U.S. passport. Yeah. I mean, you've already been vetted, right? I mean, are you telling me that people can get passports, U.S. passports, be U.S. citizens, and they still might be terrorists? It's like, well, I mean, I, I guess so, but for the most part, like it seems like you know they're up and up. 
with the system. I mean, well, and then you, of course, and the, the thing too is you also have to let, let's not forget there's a little thing called uh, constitutional rights here. I mean, you, you've also got to keep in mind the importance of protecting the rights of the people who have those rights afforded to them. And so the 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 Trump administration's response to this was, well, if we would have announced that we were doing this, you know, with a week's notice. So in other words, if you're out of the country, hurry up and get your get your ass back. If we would have announced this with a week's notice, then all of the bad people would have just rushed into our country. That's not the way it works. Well, and then you can't do that. Is he, that's not even it doesn't even work that way. Yeah, I mean, you have to. You ha- it takes. You got to apply for a visa. It takes months, if not years, to get into the country that way. So it's not like somebody can just go. Oh, there. You know, it's a, it's a closeout sale. Everything's must go. I've got to hurry down there, and I'll just rush right into the country within uh, a couple of days. Start from scratch. It doesn't work that way. Well, and then also too, if you have somebody who's had a passport for five, ten, fifteen years mm-hmm. that happened to be born in another country, and we're keeping that person from coming back. My point would be like, so they just you got them now like they were going to do something but they decided they were going to wait i mean like that was always you know on the flip side even for you know uh, my argument when people say that like i remember when obama taking the guns away Mm -hmm. it was during a second term people were still bringing that up i'm like hey guys i'm pro-gun i don't see him taking guns away when's he gonna wait yeah. You know, I mean, like, he didn't do it his first term. He was betting that he was going to make it a second term, you know. Uh, well, it's like we talk about. The only thing he did was was uh, make it legal to carry a gun into a national park. Yeah, that law didn't out. even exist. And so uh, so that, you know, when you say, oh, we're going to keep the you know citizens out, that yeah. the U.S. citizens that are born abroad in one of the seven banned countries, I'm all, but they're already a citizen. They've mm-hmm. been here for a while. I don't know if these are really, I mean, where we need to be putting our energy. I mean, and that's my thing. It's just like fighting. You know, it's like you put your energy where you think that it's most important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you should train on how to stop a, a right hand, how to avoid getting need in the body. If you tell me that I'm going to sit here and for the next two hours we're going to train on how to stop a, a spinning, flying, you know, uh, kick to the head, it's like, look, it could happen, and it has happened on a rare occasion. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if we break down percentages of what is going to get you hurt, it's going to be over here. And I just think that's what we have to do on any kind of policy level. It's like, well, you know, let's put our energy towards who we think the bad guys really are and not just do a blanket sweep of everybody going, okay, anybody who's not born here, born over there, let's just, you know, let's put a pause on it. I'm like, wow, that's that's a pretty generalizing just assumption. It's also... You have to think about in terms of the propaganda tool that this sort of thing provides. Because what it does, granted, Trump ran on this. I mean, he, he did. And I'm somebody who, you know, listen, I didn't support him. But right now, I'm keeping a checklist of the things that he ran on. And I want to see how many of these promises he's going to pay off on. And, and you know what? This is one of them. And he's actually doing things a lot faster. Not only is he actually coming through on everything he said, but he's doing it at a pretty quick rate. Well, here's the problem with that, though. Um, yes, but I don't know ultimately how um, if, how uh, long-lasting those things are going to be because I think he's doing it with a, a pretty strong uh, degree of impatience. And a lot of these things, I don't know if they end up holding up in uh, Congress 
let alone court. Yeah, but so, that's on other people. You know no, what I mean? exactly. But but I also think he fell though, through. He fell through on his promise. Now he can just point the finger and go, "Yeah, I did it." But then they overturned it. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. I mean, that's true. It's pretty but smart, are actually. you? Yeah, <laughs> but are you really doing something? If you know that ahead of time, so so if I well, go, yeah, out, he's actually enhancing his chances of being reelected. Well, sit there and go, well, I did this, and they blocked me. So now, in two years, when you guys do an election for the Congress, you need to make it more guys on my side. Yeah, but see, I would look at that like, okay, but if you're running for reelection, are you promising me a bunch of things that you know are ultimately going to be illegal well, that are going to get thrown out? It isn't him. It's it's well, the people it, stopping him, and so it's not his reelection. But I'm thinking that you know, in two years, when the election for the House, or, you know, for Congress comes up, all the seats, all of a sudden, now it's just that much more propaganda to run. So everybody that stands against him on these cases that seem to have mm-hmm. really sparked an interest in U.S. citizens, all of a sudden, it's like, well, okay, you know what I mean, it's like okay, it could be a bad idea, but people are behind it, and then you're the one in the room, or like, hey, we're going to do this, and you're the one standing up, going, I don't think we should do it. Then all of a sudden, the guy stops and go, okay, who are we going to vote out of the room now? Yeah, you're getting but, voted out, man. But see, there's a okay, but I think that there is a difference between obstruction, which is certainly uh, a lot of what uh, Barack Obama ran into, and that's that's not my opinion. That's something that you know the the Republicans said from the get go. Guys like Mitch McConnell that look, we're going to obstruct everything he does. That's our strategy. Is now that he's elected, we're going to block, block, block everything we can. There's a difference between promising something. And then having it blocked versus promising something that was never possible to begin with because of legality. That's the, that's the line I'm drawing. But the fact that he promised it and people liked it, no one looked into it was legal or not. Do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. that was the board that he ran on. So the people that voted for him, the same people that can vote other seats out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the people that he's just now, you know what I mean? So if I was a Republican or, you know, especially a Democrat that mm-hmm. was trying to stand up against anything he says, might not be the smartest move right now because it's going to be something that because of his ability, he has the greatest ability of anybody in politics to shine a light on you. If he doesn't like you, if you're some judge that right now overruns or overturns his, uh, his executive order, mm-hmm. He can put you on a national forefront in seconds. With one tweet, you're famous, and everybody that supported him, that voted him in, is now after you and after your job. Here's what I think, though. I think that may be a two-month strategy. I don't think it's a two-year strategy. I think in two years, the opposite effect happens. I think that just like uh, the Tea Party uh, swept a lot of people out uh, from the left— in the midterms after Obama was elected, I think that the the liberal uh, you know resurgence could do that in two years. Because if this is what one week is going to be like, there's no telling where we're going to be at by two years. I think in two years, a lot of this stuff is going to have have uh, proven itself out. And I think a lot of the stuff, whether or not you like the idea, a lot of the stuff is going to be looked at and go. Man, we really rushed into a lot of this. We did not do it thoroughly, and that's why things have either been overturned or they did. We're going to be two years into 
trying to build some wall that, that cannot be afforded. I mean, how about that? How about the fact that in two years we're going to be standing there, we're either going to still be talking about building a wall that has not been built, or we're going to be talking about something that blew a gigantic size hole into the deficit. Well, I think that he can actually, well, first of all, I think when midterms come up, I don't think it's going to be so much a liberal resurgence because right now with all the, you know, the protests that are going on, mm-hmm. one thing that it's doing, it's only invigorating the people that voted Trump in in the first place. So they're sitting mm-hmm. there going, see, see how you guys are? This is only re-inspiring us to continue to stay on the path. So I understand what you say that the mm-hmm. liberal side is going to be more invigorated to try to, but Trump is not going to lose any voters. Everybody that voted for Trump is still yeah. on Trump bandwagon. No. Um, well, here's the th- I don't know. Bro, I don't know. I mean, because, come on. Because, well, it's like- <laughs> not, not his base. Not his base. I'm not talking about the base, but I'm talking about the swing voters. I mean, you're right that the people who are diehard Trump are always going to be with him, just like you know people like me would be always diehard opposed to him. But there's we're in the minorities. On either side of that equation, we're in the minorities. The massive amounts of people in the middle. It's like, if you just look at the fact that Barack Obama has a 60% approval rating. Okay, so what that means is, is that there were people who voted or who, who approve of him but voted for Donald Trump. So it's like saying, well, yeah, I, I, I approve of the guy, and I like the job that he did. Now I'm going to vote to undo everything. It really makes no logical sense. But there's plenty of voter pools. Yes, there's plenty of people like that, though, is the problem. So, so every, every, as I've said before on the show, every four to eight years, this swings the other way. Because here's what's going to happen. Somebody in two years is going to get mad because the Mexican family still lives next door to them, and they were under the impression that by voting for Trump, those people would be long gone, and now they're well, second-guessing themselves. Where Trump's themselves. gone, they might be gone, dude. <laughs> yeah, Hold on a second. <laughs> Don't underestimate what he's going to be doing here, man. <laughs> I, mean, you already, I mean, you already have U.S. Yeah. citizens that can't get back into the country. Well, that if I'd true. have told you that two weeks ago, yeah. you would have told me I was crazy. Yeah, but also look at the fact that the... The Republican establishment, not not people inside the White House, but but the the senators, congressmen, women, a lot of them are being kind of quiet about this. A lot of them aren't rushing to his defense. They're not speaking out against him. But I think they're also going, wait a second, before I go out on a limb here, let me just get an idea of how sturdy this branch is, because here's what I think. This, you know, I started the first few weeks of the Obama administration by rereading Doris Kearns Goodwin's um, team of rivals about the the uh, the Lincoln cabinet, because, you know, Lincoln did something very similar to what Obama did. Uh, he appointed William Seward, his secretary of state, who had been his fierce rival in the primary, Lincoln's rival. And that's kind of what Obama did with Clinton. You know, they had right. the, the fierce primary and all that. So there were a lot of parallels. I started last week rereading all the president's men because this is seeming very, very Nixonian to me uh, in a lot of ways in terms of what the climate was like. Now, I was I was to or, or I was I was three years old I guess when Nixon was was uh, taken out off or resigned but I studied it a lot so I know what the culture was like now the difference is it took you know Nixon was well into his 
second term before the whole Watergate scandal really erupted. But what's a striking similarity is Nixon was Nixon considered uh, the press the opposition party. And, and, and Trump has said Trump is using those words. The media is the opposition party. He's making the media the bad guy. Right. So that sets the stage that any digging they're going to do on him, well, of course, because they're the opposition party. That's very similar to what happened uh, with Richard Nixon. And I, the difference, though, is that Nixon came in as a legit politician. I mean, he was a guy who had been a vice president. I mean, he had been in politics. So nobody doubted whether or not he was qualified to be there. It was just it took a while for, uh, you know, uh, for, for everything he was doing behind the scenes to come to light. But what I think about this is that I think this whole administration is not built to last. I think that because... The, the there's the flippancy of what got him in to begin with. The let's shake up the system and let's you know let's do it now and think about it later. And I just want change and I'm fed up and all the rest of that. Things that a lot inspired a lot of voters. I think this is also the kind of thing that can cause the the whole paradigm to shift very quickly because not a lot of a real investment was made in getting it there. So what you do is you look at something uh, like the Koch brothers, for example, who are real kingmakers in this country. They didn't support Trump. They didn't give Trump money. They didn't like Trump. They like Pence. Pence is now that that right there is a proper Republican politician. That's a guy who acts like a Republican president. So if I'm one of the Koch brothers, I'm looking at this going, well, you know what? I mean, Trump had the, the, the fever pitch of the American public, but we got Pence in there as a great backup plan. So if if Trump ends up going down to the conflicts of interest and the lawsuits and all the things that are going to happen, we're actually going to be able to get a guy to step up if Trump doesn't finish out his term who is in the in the immediate aftermath going to seem like the calm uh, choice that's going to like restore order. It's going to make everybody feel better. Okay, that guy was out of his mind, but look at this. Now we got this nice, calm guy, and that guy actually could maybe be even more destructive than Trump from somebody who has my perspective, because that guy is going to do it in a much quieter demeanor. And in the wake of Hurricane Trump, it may not be as noticeable. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Sense. Uh, speaking of what you, you brought up just a few minutes ago, yeah. the, the building of the wall. Yeah. Do you think that he won't be able to tax Mexico for it? No, because the, here's the problem. They they don't know how they're going to do this, and they, they're already floating trial balloons. Like, I don't know if you saw this when you were overseas, but this only lasted about 24 hours. But the Trump administration floated the idea of, well, we put a 20% tariff yeah, on Mexican goods that. coming into the country. Here's the problem. That's a tax on American citizens. That's not a tax on Mexico, because who do you think's buying the stuff? So it, it only took about one news cycle for a bunch of economists to go, hold on a second. Let me explain the numbers of what you just suggested. And they dropped that thing like a hot potato. So there's a lot of the, that. It sounds good. I mean, it's one of those things that if you throw out just, just on the surface, you go, hell yeah, you know, get 20% on, uh, on their products until you, you actually look at the numbers and go, 
wait a second, who really ends up paying for that? So that's not them paying for it. That's us paying for it. I'm all for at this point. If he promised a wall, let me see a wall. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm down for that, but I'm going to say down for it, but I'm, 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 I'm going to hold you at your word and I'm not going to be surprised. You, You know, elections have consequences. And if more people voted for that wall, then I understand that it's, there's going to be a plan to have it built. But here's the thing you said, Mexico would pay for it, and then it became, well, we're going to pay for it, and then they'll reimburse us, and now you're getting sketchy about how exactly they're going to reimburse us, and now if I'm not careful, before I know it, you're going to come up with a way for me to actually pay for it where you're going to convince me that they paid for it. Right. Well, it just seems like there's something that Mexico needs from us that we are the bigger power. There has to be a way to go through. I mean, we're the number one buyer of products like we're, mm. it's, it's kind of like if you own a shop mm-hmm. and i'm the biggest your biggest customer mm-hmm. that gives me a lot of leverage and also we're also a huge supplier of natural resources i gotta imagine a lot of our things go to mexico i mean you're telling me that mexico doesn't rely more on us that we rely more on mexico here's the here's the problem though it's not absolute like um uh, for example, and I learned this, I don't know if you knew this or not. I just learned this as a result of all of this, uh, hysteria over the last uh, week or so. Did you know that when someone, uh, from a, uh, uh, uh foreign country flies into, um, like, uh, you know, terrorist hot, like the countries we were talking about, you know, uh, uh, Yemen, Sudan, you know, all this kind of stuff. If someone from one of those countries flies into Mexico or Canada, it pops up on our radar because we have a cooperative relationship with those two countries. Okay. So you can't just fly into Mexico undetected from a terrorist country. Over the border. Exactly. Okay. Now, we count on Mexico to have a working relationship with us on something like that. I mean, there's a lot of things like that that we don't think about that it behooves us to have, especially when we share a common border. This isn't some overseas ally. But if we shut the border down, who dies first? Yeah, but that's not... I don't think we're going to see the eventuality of that I, contest. Saying, you know, as far as in a, in a dick-swinging contest... Uh-huh. If I sat there and if I'm the U.S. saying, hey, no one's going over the border either way. Here's what here, – okay. Like, so now okay. all of a sudden you tell American citizens they can't go over into Mexico. That kills Mexico's economy. Maybe eventually you're proven right, but here's what I'll bet happens well before we see that work out one way or another. I'll bet something like what I just brought up starts not becoming a real high priority, and we end up with some sort of real uh, domestic threat – not from our frayed relationship with Mexico directly, but more from the fact that maybe they're not being as vigilant about keeping an eye on our security anymore from other countries. I mean, I just... It, well, it's, but if we shut the border down, then that would kind of... Yeah, but you can't 100% effectively shut that border. I mean, see, that's the other thing, too, is now you're talking about practicality. When you talk about building this wall, which, by the way, this is something that even Republicans are saying could cost 12 to 20 billion dollars to build. You know, it's amazing that we you're going to be the party of conservative spending until it comes to something like this and then you're willing to just, you know, blow a gigantic hole in the deficit. But even if you say okay, but this is important and it's got to be done, there are areas 
where you're going to try to build this wall that you're not going to be able to build a wall. I mean, there, there's, there's mountains. There's, there's, there, there, there is an element of impracticality to this that it's not going to be this, this great, impenetrable, continuous wall that I think a lot of people envision, even if it does get built. And I think that's something that, you know, you yeah. got to take into because Because, you know, the, the other thing, too, is, is that, you know, the, the, the countries that would really seek to do us harm, and Mexico's not seeking to do us harm. I understand we got an immigration problem, but it's not like, you know, Mexico's are, you know, we're their sworn mortal enemy and we have some no, no, bizarre no, no. religious I difference just think the, or you know, the immigration issue with 100%. All the, no, I the agree drugs with that. and criminals yeah. coming over. No, I agree with that. But the, the, the real terrorist long game plan is for us to, to break ourselves from within. It's for us to bankrupt ourselves. It's for us to compromise our values of freedom so that, you know, it's not like a, a terrorist organization, you know, uh, Al-Qaeda or ISIS or any of this thinks that just by, you know, a couple of, of lone wolves coming over and killing a handful of people, that that in and of itself is somehow going to um, destabilize the, the, the government or the population. But what it will do is, if we have enough of those high-profile instances where we start voluntarily giving away our own freedoms out of fear, or even better, if we start spending ourselves into some sort of irreparable oblivion right. out of fear, then then we're doing the job for them, okay. you know. And there's a lot of conservatives who feel that way too. I mean, I you know I wear the big L on my sleeve, but there's a lot of conservatives who feel that way too. In fact, I just I read a piece from uh, John Stossel, who you know is a noted libertarian. Uh, today, an op-ed saying that, you know, while he liked some of Trump's positions, that it absolutely terrifies him, the position that he's taken on trade, because I actually like the concept at face value, and this explains why I was a Sanders supporter as well. It's a little bit common ground between Sanders and Trump on America first approach to trade. But the thing is, it's not as easy as it sounds, because as soon as you go, bam, you know, 35 percent tariff, you don't realize the trickle down effect that that has on American jobs. If you're not careful, you can lose more jobs in the long run than you protect in the short term because you're not thinking of the economic impact, how prices are going to go up. I mean, that's one thing that actually created the Great Depression you know, was uh, 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 ill-advised focus on protectionism at a time where it was kind of like the, the dawn of, of kind of a globalization, or at least the globalization that was to come. And because of the short-sightedness and a lack of regulation, and keep in mind this is going to be a very deregulation-friendly proposition here, that that's what inadvertently open the door to the Great Depression. Things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, banking irregularities that eventually gave way to the Glass-Steagall Act. That was post-Depression because uh, people realized that we needed that uh, as a barrier against the, the malfeasance of the banks. And we had it all the way up until the Clinton administration when he took it away. And the reason he took it away was because just enough time had passed. It's funny, I was talking to my aunt tonight on the phone who was a hippie. She was a Vietnam War protesting hippie, right? And now she's, you know, knocking on 70, she's knocking on the door of 70, getting pretty close to it. And she, there is no, you know, the, the next generation in front of her is pretty much passed away. Like her parents are now both passed away. And it always happens where 
history repeats itself, and it repeats itself when just enough time has passed, just enough decades, right. where the only people who remember it are the oldest among us, you know? So eventually, there's no one alive, you know, no one was alive who was around during the Depression, you get my point. Yeah. So it's like nobody can go, oh, hold on, I've seen this movie before, wait a second, let me tell you what's going to happen here, it's not going to be good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's I, I from from a spectator standpoint, I'm like, you know, I, I don't have unrealistic expectations in terms of, okay, I didn't back this guy, he won, I'm not going to be able to keep him from, you know, getting a Supreme Court nominee confirmed and that kind of stuff. I understand all that. But I'm looking at this at this point more from a long-term picture. And I've now, uh, you know, I, I've, I've paid attention to politics my whole, all my 46 years. Even as a, a kid, I was very involved politically. And I've seen a lot of administrations who I disagreed with, but I never looked at one of them and said, I don't think this is going to last. Like, I don't think uh, this may not even last four years. You know, you'd see people drive around with the impeach who, whoever, you know, Obama, Clinton, Bush, bumper stickers, whatever. And you're like, eh, okay, that's, that's a little dramatic. I don't think that's going to be happening. But you do look at a situation, I look at a situation like this, and I just go, I don't really know if this is going to be able to last. And I don't know if, forget the Democrats, I don't know if the Republicans would necessarily be sorry to see it not last when they would be real happy with their plan B of no. Mike Pence. Well, absolutely. I mean, I said that just, uh, one of the things I actually said that has to be something you respect in Trump is that not only did he beat the Democratic Party, but he beat the Republican Party. And yeah. I think just now everybody's so afraid of him because yeah. he carries the biggest stick of all. Yeah. That, you know, people are now, uh, the Republican Party, I think, are uh, they're going along with it because it would be a death sentence for their career to oppose at this point right yeah. now. I, I, I will say that even if, even if this... But, I mean, if he puts his head in the trap and he's going down, mm -hmm. they're going to jump on him. I think if he is able to write out this administration for four years, let alone maybe be reelected to a second term, if he does, it's going to be because at some point during this first term, he's going to soften and homogenize at least enough that he gets rid of lightning rods like Steve Bannon and Mike Flynn. These are problems. And there's a lot of of conservatives there's a lot of republicans who will tell you that these guys are are problems i mean steve bannon who is you know his senior advisor who by the way did not have to get approved by congress is a guy who is a self-described leninist i mean he looks at vladimir lenin as one and this is you could you know find quotes of him talking about this that that is somebody that he considers a role model because of Lenin's vision of tearing down the entire, you know, bringing down the, 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 uh, the structure so that it can all be rebuilt. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who gave an interview to the New York times this past week and said, the media needs to shut their mouths. The media just needs to listen for a while. The media, a country where, Free press is guaranteed in the Constitution. I don't care if you're a guy one or not. You can't feel good 
about that being the official word coming out of the White House, that the media is the enemy and the media needs to shut their mouth. I listen to the White House press briefing uh, just about every day with uh, Sean Spicer. And, uh, you know, they've started this new thing where they allow in the White House briefing room a Skype connection. And every day they have a couple of people Skype in who aren't part of the White House press corps and ask questions. Today they had Lars Larson Skype in, who, who's one of these conservative, you know, AM talk show guys. And he calls Sean Spicer... Commander Spicer and thanks him for his service to his country before saying that anybody, you know, who's paying attention knows that Donald Trump is doing great things. This isn't supposed to be a member of the media. This isn't for commentators. This is a press conference. We just Smart on their to part. They can control who actually is releasing information. No, I, I get it, but it's just like this is an American. This should not be okay. Well, I, it's being done at a time where I really see where people are going to back up the ability to cut out their own free speech. Yeah. I think right now, because of the way Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I think just kind of the uh, the uh, climate of mm-hmm. our social media yeah. on top of our media, um, I think is getting to the point where people are starting just, you know, I think that... Uh, Again, like, I don't know, I'm just always impressed when I see things. I'm like, that's pretty ingenious. Mm -hmm. The fact that Trump has already put the seed of fake news Mm -hmm. into people's ear. I'm like, wow, that was pretty, uh, that's pretty intelligent. Because the one thing that keeps anybody in power honest is journalism. Mm -hmm. Because if no one knows what you're doing, how do the masses ever stand up against it you yes and how about so now this? he defeated the one thing that the common man has mm-hmm. it's like well you've already put doubt you know if i'm constantly having my guy come over and tell me what's going on but now you've made me doubt that the person giving me the information information's even on the up and up now there's mistrust and confusion and now that joint you know collective uh, uh what media could have been before to broadcast out information can you imagine if watergate would have happened if nixon could have already put in the seed of mistrust right it was bullshit that it didn't exist it was fake news yeah he never gets impeached and never. how about this i'll i'll give him uh i'll go one more than that given uh trump uh uh you know evil genius credit there he does it he plants that fake news seed after rising to prominence through the biggest fake news story of all time which was that Barack Obama was not born in America. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like I'm, I, I, rose, I, I rode in on that fake news wave, and now that I'm on the beach, guess what? You're all fake news. Right. Well, done with know, all, hey, it's genius. If it worked for him, he doesn't want it to work for somebody else. Well, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, ultimately, as irritating as I think all of that is, he's not there if people don't support him and if people weren't okay with that and that's that's the bigger thing that i'm concerned about is just the 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 mentality and the intellect of the people who are are getting involved i have a lot of friends who i i disagree honestly i'm i've been in a political minority pretty much my whole life that i could it turns out like my group of friends or or whatever you're actually one of the more although you know i think you're a self-described libertarian you're more liberal than a lot of people that i know 
Um, but the thing is, is that those people, they can tell me why they think what they think, whether or not I agree with it or not. They can tell me why they think what they think. And to me, uh, that's an important distinction to make because there's a lot of this stuff that I think should be of a real bipartisan concern. And I'll, I'll go out on, I'll, I'll say this on tape right now and you can hold me to it. But, you know, even if, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders ends up getting elected president, if I'm ever watching a, a daily White House briefing and, you know, they've got the lead blogger from OccupyWallStreet.com who's saluting Comrade Sanders before he gets to his, you know, leading question, I'm not okay with that. No. That, that person doesn't have a place But in that's there. because you realize that there has to be uh, objectivity when someone's covering something. Yeah. Because, I mean, look, you heard it when you were a kid, right? He who wins the wars writes the history books. Yes. That's because that's what matters. What goes in a history book, it wasn't the truth. It's whoever writes the truth, right? Yeah. And if you control what is written or what spread, that becomes the truth. Uh, and so that's what you're seeing right now is that Trump has a greater understanding of social media, his group does, and then the Democrats do, I just, which is weird because yeah. the Democratic Party is supposed to be all the liberal hippie kids. You'd think that they would have a better grasp. Well, of here's the problem with us liberals. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we're wishy-washy. I'm going to paint with broad strokes right now. Uh, we're, we're wishy-washy in terms of commitment and turnout. Like I, I, the, the concept of not voting to me, there's not many more things that I could ever imagine myself not doing more than not voting. If that makes sense. Okay. Election day is a big deal. Uh, for me, that's a day I am, I'm up early and I'm in line and I'm in a good mood and I'm excited and I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling myself but you're as saying the ladies like to say on Instagram. Liberal. Well, no, and I'll tell you this too. I also don't think it, it's it's unfortunately. I I, I don't think it's a, a, a in a lot of ways, uh, ironically, a real American thing. Although it should be, it, it's not. But the the grassroots conservatives have something that we grassroots liberals don't have, which is fear of an invisible man. And um. Uh, I fear mean, is a great motivator. Absolutely it is. I mean, if I wish that we feared the wrath of some sort of, you know, celestial being, lest we not get out and, uh, you know, organize and, and get active and vote and, and do it consistently. So I think what ends up happening is people get excited in, like, uh, uh, the cult of personality. I mean, Barack Obama... Obviously, as I said, 60% approval rating leaving office. People, a lot of people love the guy, okay? But they're voting personality over policy. What I cared about was his policy. I supported his policy certainly a lot more than I'm supporting Trump's ideas, which is why I supported Hillary Clinton, even though I wasn't anywhere near as excited about her as Barack Obama, let alone Bernie Sanders. But I'm interested in policy. (laughs) No one was very excited about Hillary. No, no, and I get it. I get it. But I'm interested in uh in policy over personality so i just my 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 uh, just my my overriding thought on that is that whether or not you supported him or didn't this whole press business uh, i mean 
you should be concerned about this. I mean, not not that actually. That's, out of all the things he does, that's the one thing that I will stand up against. Yeah, and, you know, and a lot of things I'm looking at, going, well, you know, okay, you know, and I'll, you know, I can see different outlooks on yeah. it, but uh, there is no excuse for trying to silence or manipulate them. No, and, and there's plenty. Listen, there's plenty of fake news that can pop up on your Facebook feed and all that, and it happens. And I get, it. and you know what? I would never just at face. I don't just automatically retweet something. For example, if I agree with it. Well, I just did it to you the other day. Yeah. Didn't I? I forgot what I sent you in the detention center. We, you asked me, or you had seen a, a link about people being yeah, put into detention something centers. About yeah, people. Yeah. You know, the, the, we have these in the U.S. And I, and I, I looked up on the the uh, the site and I started reading about it and I read through it and I'm looking at. It, I'm like, okay. Is this real? Well, and what they were doing was there were obviously these people that were detained at the airports. They got to put them somewhere. And so they do have at airports detention areas. If you were ever so unfortunate as to be arrested at the airport or whatever, they're going to have these places they put you that's probably going to feel a lot like jail. So I think what they were doing was just kind of putting a spin on that, you know. Um, But that being said, there's a difference between that and something that you're really not seeing corroborated anywhere else versus the president of the United States telling CNN network that they are fake news just because he, he does not like their reporting on something. I'm sorry. They're not reporting fake news stories. You may have issues with their coverage or whatever, and you can, you can talk about that. But it is a bridge way too far to just. I agree with that. You know, no, and I agree with that. CNN, I don't think. Well, and, and you know what? And Fox News is not fake news. Okay, it may be a a you know, conservative minded network. Not a perspective on it. Yeah, but they're not reporting on PizzaGate. Okay, I mean they're not bringing up these you know some story where you're like, I've only seen this talked about on my friend's Facebook page, and now here yeah. they're not uh, they're not doing that. I just think that that you know. <laughs> A couple of weeks into this and the utter lack of decorum of it, I had the thought that, you know, how ironic is it that it took electing the richest man to ever serve as president to make the office look this cheap? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> when would you come up with that? <laughs> I think I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I like about it. driving my car Here, off the road. Before we go too crazy, let's get into some fighting. Frank, UFC Denver went down uh, this past weekend. The main event saw uh, Valentina Shevchenko submit um, Juliana Pena. And uh, I, I think while uh, you know it may not surprise a lot of people that Shevchenko won the fight, I think a lot of people, and rightfully so, were giving Pena a lot of credit and a good chance in this fight. And I think very few people, as uh, I believe Brian Stan pointed out on the broadcast, maybe not anyone that anybody could think of would have predicted that Shevchenko, who was you know known as a striker, a kickboxer, would have finished the fight that way, submitting Pena. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we knew that, you know, Shevchenko was a great kickboxer. We've seen her in the fight with, you know, Holly Holmes. Um, we've seen her advisor with a great stand-up. But, you know, and even around, you know, talking to people who have trained with her and trained the camps, I don't think ground fighting is one of her strong suits. And Pena is known as a fierce competitor, and she throws heavy hands and throws hard punches. So I think it would have been much more uh, less of a surprise, I should say, if Pena had caught, you know, Shevchenko with a knockout, whereas catching someone with a submission 
that you know technically you know Pena is not the submission you know is a much better submission fighter uh, but to be caught in such a submission such a way was actually you know quite surprising yeah it um you know Pena is in in a way i mean i guess maybe that style would kind of play into it because she is so aggressive and you know misplaced aggression can get you in some uh compromising predicaments especially when you're taking on a pretty technical fighter but i i guess maybe the big revelation was that shevchenko was going to have a ground game like that yeah because even when she had the mount I thought she was just going to try to beat her down with elbows and, and strikes and just keep the position and wear her out, but to uh, fall off for the arm bar, and, and that's a risky move for a person who's not a high-level grappler. So yeah. shows that you know that she has the potential to be extremely well-rounded and, and working on things, and that uh, you know that that commitment to going for something that's not necessarily her strong suit, but with that kind of killer instinct, uh, that actually impressed me greatly. Well, and a pretty at that point. I mean, a pretty low percentage submission that also, I mean, if you miss the arm bar, uh, put you in bad position against a grappler. I mean, really, have we seen anybody outside of Ronda Rousey be in the modern era, you know, particularly successful with that? Submission. I mean, I, I always think, I mean, you know, you see a lot, plenty of arm bars in jujitsu and things like that, but I, I guess I always think about that as, uh, especially when you're taking on a grappler like that and you yourself are not known as one, that's, that's kind of a, a surprise to see somebody, uh, uh, move for an armbar like that. Well, and even amongst you know people that are dominant grapplers, we mm-hmm. talk about it's an MMA fight. You know, unless you hear the ten seconds click, don't fall for a submission yeah. that puts you in an inferior position if you were to miss it. You know, when you're in mount, you see a lot more head and arm chokes because if you miss it, you're still on top. Uh, whereas you know, falling for the armbar. You're putting your back to the mat, and you're going to fall back and go for it. And uh, if they block it, they're going to end up on top. And so, uh, yeah, it was you know maybe her lack of grappling actually allowed her to be committed to that move, whereas maybe a higher level grappler would have thought of the consequences mm-hmm. of that. So it's kind of the equivalent of uh, you know sometimes you have the people too on their feet that have a high knockout ratio because. They're not necessarily the best striker, but they're just committed to coming forward and throwing hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the long run, that's not going to work out for them because, you know, percentages will always catch up to you. But uh, as far as that lack of kind of consequences where you sometimes you get a really good striker, sometimes, you know, I mean, Anderson Silva, prime example of that. At times, his striking could look boring to people because he seemed conservative, you know, and I think that's just because he had such an in-depth understanding of what could happen if I did this and do that. Mm. So the guy was playing chess, you know, and so was very, you know, uh, analytical about what move he would throw forward where you would see some guys of less ability look more exciting because they throw caution to the wind because they might not necessarily realize they were in danger. And, and, and I think that that's what happened here when she fell back for that arm bar. I don't think she really understood the consequences of missing it. And that gave her that, you know, uh, you know, confidence to uh, to 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 go on a bite, you know, on a bound and just fall for it. And, and sometimes that's it's crazy, man. It's hard as a fighter to do that. It's like in one sense, you have to understand, you know, the X's and O's of every move that's going forward, right? Mm-hmm. But then you can't overanalyze because there's always going to be a percentage of you losing. Sometimes just saying, you know, fuck it, go could be a an asset but then sometimes that can you know get you 
caught up in a bad situation because you didn't look at what could have happened and you ran forward. It's such a balancing act. I mean, you see it sometimes in our military. I think I brought this up before, but there was a, it's been years now, but uh, it happened with a, uh, 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 our special forces. They were, you know, they were trying to get into the beach. It was a helicopter. They couldn't get close enough. And so the uh, two of the men, uh, and I might be just ripping the story apart, but I just remember that they were so confident in their abilities and their training that they jumped into the waters and swam, tried to attempt to swim to shore. Mm. And they didn't make it, you know. And, uh, but they had that mentality of uh, no matter what, I can accomplish the mission. Mm-hmm. And so that is something that's very uh, – uh, it's one half of being a f- great fighter is that no matter what, I won't fail, go forward. Yeah. But then the other half is being a great general, looking at the consequences and, and different uh, you know, uh, scenarios and X's and O's of what's going on. And, man, it's a balancing act. And I really don't know if there's a, f- a great answer of – you know, in hindsight, it's the best way we can sit there and go, well, that didn't work out for you. But it seems like going forward, going, okay, do we just throw caution to the wind or are we going to be analytical? It's like, man, it's a balancing act. It really yeah. is, you know, and, and sometimes it just, I don't know. <laughs> As a fighter, can you, in, in the fight, can you have that much analytical thought? given to like percentages of what you're about to do and should I go for this and is this a worthwhile you know what I'm saying like can you can you do is there time to give that much thought well, to it when you're thinking battle? in a fight it isn't thought so much as oh I could get hit with a right hand right now yeah. if I do this um it's more uh uh it's more abstract than that it's like uh if a, if you saw a piece of metal that was burning hot and I started reaching it towards you, your brain doesn't go, oh, shit, that's really hot. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, God, your brain instinctively looks over, registers that that's a hot piece of metal, and you react to it. Okay. So the same thing kind of happens in fighting. If all of a sudden I go to start changing levels, right? I'm going to yeah. try to take you down. I'm shooting a shot. And then all of a sudden I see your shoulders drop and your your rear hand starts to come down a little bit. My brain goes, oh, that's an uppercut. Not that I didn't think that that's an uppercut. I went, oh, an uppercut's coming. Oh, then all of a sudden my left hand might tingle and go, oh, well, a left hook's open if I go ahead and come up. Yeah. That's more or less, and again, not the actual words that are going on, but there's that kind of chess going back and forth with, oh, you're moving here, I'm moving there. And all of a sudden now I abandon the, and come up for the shot, you know, for the punch, you know, and, and so it works quicker that way. So a lot of times, like, you know, if I'm about to go for an arm bar on top, I swing, there's a feeling of if I miss this, I'm going to end up on bottom. That hits your yeah. brain. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think if you're working out how often and how not, but just, you know, and I, I think that's just how the athlete or the fighter's mind works during those times. It's like, oh, because you've trained so much, you know consequences. And so if it has a positive outcome, you're like, oh, I'll, I'm going to continue pushing through this. If in training you've had negative responses on a certain counter, well, guess what? In the fight, you're also going to go like, oh, in training – most of the time when I go for this, it hurts. So not that you sat there and ran those odds through your head, but you've been trained now through reps. It's almost kind of like a dog that, you know, every time I go to feed it, I ring the bell. It's like, yeah. oh, start salivating because that Pavlovian. bell. 
right? So, and that's really what fighting is. And that's why it takes reps and conditioning because you don't have time to sit here and go, what do you do if the guy throws a jab? Mm -hmm. You have to train your brain to go, I'm going to lean this way. I'll fire my own shot up the middle. That means, and then whatever he reacts to, your brain starts going down those pathways. Oh, his head went back. That means his legs are exposed. I'll shoot. Oh, his head came forward. That means his legs aren't exposed, but now his face is exposed for an uppercut. Mm -hmm. Boom, you know, or maybe a knee. And then I'm going to do a snap down or I'm going to work a guillotine. Mm -hmm. Oh, now he's pushing with his hands and he's pushing his hips out. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just going to turn the corner, you know. She's you know? pulling away from me. Why do all my first dates end like this? <laughs> that sort of thing. Well, Bill Cosby doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amanda Nunez, a women's bantamweight champion, comes in the cage after the fight. That was kind of an old school. We used to see that a lot more in UFC. Remember that? Where they'd bring somebody in to do kind of like a face-off or a confrontation yeah. or something like, you know, GSP telling Matt Hughes he wasn't impressed yes. with his performance and all that. Yeah, it hasn't happened that much anymore. Yeah, so uh, we got to see that. So Nunez comes in and squares off a little bit with Shevchenko. I mean, obviously, they're telegraphing that rematch. So it uh, looks like we'll get that, and it's well-deserved. Uh, tough break for, you know, Juliana Pena was, you know, she was never – touted i mean even when she started on the ultimate fighter if you remember i mean she was the the dark horse the underdog i think her first fight was with um shana baszler and yeah. ronda rousey was coaching her and telling her how you know she didn't even belong uh, she was coaching shana baszler but right. saying that this girl meaning pena doesn't even belong in here with you and she ends up uh upsetting uh baszler and then you know winning the whole show and all that so she's always been someone who's kind of come from you know say out of nowhere but i mean not didn't come with the the pedigree when the women's division opened up the way that some of the other ladies did who had been fighting longer and you know here just recently in the last year or so she had gotten very vocal about hey it's time for me to get a title shot this should have been my title shot already if i you know beat shevchenko it absolutely should be and i think that was on the line and boy tough to come back I mean she'll be back I'm sure and I think eventually she will get that title shot but just tough when you got so much riding on the line like that yeah I think she'll be more I think this will only temper her a little bit more I mean there was moments in the fight where I felt that just it was like okay what are you doing right now that I felt like she was expending a lot of energy with very little results, you know, and, and, and fighting is a lot, you know, that's just something that's going through is, you know, risk to reward. Yeah. You know, what am I risking? What am I gaining? And so, um, I think that, you know, that it's great that she has a lot of tenacity and, 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 and vigor behind what she does, but, uh, you know, it, it has helped her in the past, but sometimes once something's defeated, it allows you really to, it's kind of hard if a guy has a, or a girl has a bad habit. And they're successful with it. How do you as a coach Mm -hmm. sit there and go, hey, you keep dropping your hands, but it's like, yeah, but I'm knocking everybody out. It's like, okay, well, yes, but, you know, eventually it's going to run into a problem. And uh, I think that, you know, she kind of ran into a problem being shut down here. And also, too, I think the advantage is that because it fatigued her so much, the amount of energy and, and how she was just drilling forward to get arm barred, it's like, look, had you fought a little smarter, there's no way that that girl should have arm barred you. That just shows how chaotic your energy and your mind was 
that it lived, left such a big opening that somebody who's not your caliber of grappling was able to snatch your arm up and not like you got caught in a guillotine where even a, a low-level person can possibly catch a higher-level person. But, I mean, we're talking, you know, an arm bar. They threw it on there and they cranked you off from the, uh, uh, cranked it off from the, uh, the mount. Um, where was your mind? You know, mm-hmm. I think that sometimes that she kind of, she has a great white shark type of fighter that, the, you know, the whites kind of roll back and she just comes forward and it's just very aggressive. Uh, I think that she would do much better to be slightly tempered and learn how to, when is the opportune time to put the pedal down and when sometimes you have to stick in a neutral and, you know, now it's time to, you know, pick your opponent apart, see what they're doing, try to, you know, cultivate a game plan because you know I mean, there's that game plan you have that your coaches are oh this is what we're planning to do in the fight then there's the game plan that actually transpires during the fight you're like oh okay i can see where she's going i can feel where this is going yeah. i'm gonna go here and i don't know if juliana has that yet hmm. i think that's one of the things that i think that she might because of her overabundance of aggression mm-hmm. doesn't allow her to kind of feel the rhythm of the fight and try to pick apart her opponent she might also have been dealing with a injury in between rounds too. Uh, said something That's to right, her corner shoulder. about a shoulder, and I did, I didn't really see a follow up on that. So who knows, you know? But obviously, it was something that was bothering her enough to uh, say something to her corner man. So so not you know, it, it's tough in a fight like that because it's like you you you've got two very uh, very impressive competitors, and I don't think even in defeat, pinions up looking bad against that no. kind of performance that uh, Shevchenko. No, I think she's still in there. Okay. The girls' division has a name, and yeah. I think that uh, she's definitely the rawer of the two talents. Right, right. For so sure. if one of them had to take a loss, I think that the chances of Juliana bouncing back is much higher. Yeah, because of I think people can look at her and again. I know she's been in the sport a while now, you know, since the Ultimate Fighter, you know, and she's done well. But I, I still feel there's a lot of a room for improvement on her. Yeah, I feel like that she's still that her best days are still ahead of her. Co-main event, Jorge Masvidal knocks out Cowboy Cerrone handing uh, Donald his first defeat since moving up to welterweight. And, you know, I thought this was a very evenly matched fight. I mean, when I look at these guys as far as, like, their physical size, their skill set, things like that, I thought the the odds uh, accurately reflected because they were pretty close odds. I think Donald was a slight favorite, but, you know, it, it was... It was a very uh, closely matched fight, and you know i I wouldn't have been surprised either way if either guy would have won. Um, but we saw Donald Cowboy Cerrone, um, you know, get dominated here. I mean, he was he was looking uh, he was looking not bad in the uh, in the first part of the round. I don't mean he was dominating the whole fight because he was landing some really nasty kicks that were already coloring up uh, Jorge Masvidal's leg. But toward the end of that first round, uh, that's when Masvidal really turned it on, hurt Cerrone, and to my to my way of seeing it, um, pretty much had Cerrone out right at the end of the first round. I want to ask you before we talk about anything else in the fight, what did you think of that call from Herb Dean? Because it did look like he was waving off the fight, a, and I mean a half second, 
before the horn sounded and then appeared to say, no, no, it's not the end of the fight, it's the end of the round. What I'm not able to take into account, not having been there, was whether or not he was able to hear everything. I don't know how that, because I understand it was a very loud crowd, so I'm not sure about that. Yeah, no, I think it was hard for him to come in there, and I don't know either. If I, at first watching it, then thought that he was waving the fight off, Yeah, I, but it's hard to tell. Like, you know, His argument that he heard the bell... I can't really dispute. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we'd have to like somehow get a light to go off when the noise went off and when his body actually reacted to jump forward. And they were so close that I gave the benefit of the doubt. But when he, st- and then that's the part too that Donald was obviously hurt. Yeah. Even walking back to the corner, do you give a guy one minute to try to recover? I don't know. I mean, when he's that damaged, obviously you just threw him out there. There's more damage. I was, yeah. I was. Are you talking about the corner or the ref? Uh, kind of both. Yeah. I mean, the referee when he sat there made the call, and Herb goes, "Oh, I didn't call the fight off." When you look at the guy, I mean, he could have kind of maybe flipped it. No, I am calling the fight, and I don't think that people would have argued it. Yeah. looking at Donald because at that point when he yeah. walked back to the corner being grabbed and held it's like oh man he's in bad shape I mean yeah. you, you, it's gonna be hard for anybody to argue you should have let the fight go on I'm like really well yeah you know it and of course the outcome was not affected it you know Cerrone ended up being finished early in the the second round so he, uh it, 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 we would have had a, a much more lively debate about all this if it had affected the outcome and you know if it'd been like a uh Yoel Romero, Tim Kennedy kind of situation right. where you know the tides turn. But uh, you you bring up an interesting point because when the fight when the round ended and Cerrone stood up, he was wobbly. I mean, he kind of swayed way off to the side, and his eyes weren't focused, and all this kind of thing. And I was thinking it's actually very rare that you see that in an MMA fight where. Uh, the the referee sees that kind of physical instability and a lot of times you'll see him just I, I think in a lot of similar situations you might see him stop it right there if the guy seems like he's having a hard time even finding his way back yeah to i just corner. don't know how the rules work because i mean i could see being argued on both sides mm-hmm. being like well you didn't stop before the round was over with yeah you have to give him his one minute to try to recover yeah. now because yeah. essentially he is being saved by the bell um you know, and then eventually, you know, he was able to, you know, call it off pretty quickly there in the second. Well, that's round. You, you know, you're right though, because he, you know, Herb didn't didn't give him much room uh, no. in in that second round, nor should he have. So I I didn't think it was a bad call either no, way. I, don't I just thought it was odd looking the way that everything happened. I don't think that for some reason Herb Dean, you know, instantaneously saw an opportunity to manipulate the outcome of a fight or anything like that. It just looked weird. Yeah, and I I think it's just one of those things that just hit a gray area that doesn't very commonly happen in our sport where a guy so close to the bell is looking to be finished and then the bell rings. Uh, uh, So it's just one of those areas that, you know... uh, I actually think in hindsight it's a good idea because if you had stopped it there, I think it would have been controversial. Mm-hmm. Where I think letting it continue, um, then it goes into the corner's hands. Now the corner can make the decision whether their fighter answers the bell for the second round. Yeah. 
And I think that puts it in the right hands. You know, at that point now, it's like, okay, now the corner can decide. They're looking at their guy. And, uh, you know, and then that way also too, then Herb as the ref, as he did, it wasn't like he allowed the second round in the barrage where he kind of sat down against the cage and squatted. And it's like, ah, he jumped on it really fast. Realized, I think now he took over his opportunity to, to go ahead and call the fight, which no one was going to dispute. Well, and you've also got to factor in who the, fighter is that you're talking about too i mean you know a veteran like like cerrone who's shown a real incredible resilience you know in in the past i don't know if that's something that a referee is really supposed to take into consideration but certainly it's something that enters well, the debate if people start feeling like a fight was stopped too soon yeah and i think that they do sway into maybe not so individualistically like that where they go into a match and they got to think okay my this guy you know is known for this this guy's yeah. known for that but i think when you're going into a fight you just know a veteran or a new guy yeah and i think that referees give veterans mm-hmm. a little bit more sway to take that extra shot because you know they've we've paid our dues you know it's kind of well, you know, yeah and a young guy you you kind of like, well, you know, let me save you from yourself. You might not know right. better, and you have a lot more career ahead of you than a veteran fighter would. So let's go ahead and, you know, I'll, I'll circumvent the situation. You know, they jump in quicker, I think. Well, and there, there's also the possible scenario, though, that if you are a new guy, even though you, let's say you got your shot in the big show, maybe it turns out you're not really cut out for the big show. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe it turns out that you're not going to have a very long career at that level because maybe you're meant to be just a step down below it. So I also think it's one of those things where, as a veteran, you've proven over a period of years that you're you're where you belong. It may not ultimately be your night, but it's not because you're the organization outclasses you. It might be just that it's not your night. So, like you said, you've you've earned that latitude. You know, it was a huge win for Masvidal. I think um, this is a guy who you know has been underrated in this division, and uh, it's it's you know better late than never that he's he's now getting. I think uh, the kind of attention that he deserves by defeating a high-profile opponent like Cerrone, I know that's something that Masvidal himself has been calling for for uh, a, a long time in terms of caliber of opponent. For Cerrone, and I heard um, I heard Dana talk about this after the fight. You know, he said something to the effect of he just hates it when Cowboy does this, meaning fight so frequently, get so close to a title uh, shot, and just you know, loses it not because he shouldn't, you know, not because he's not a top contender, but just because he takes these fights so quickly. I mean, he was just fighting, you know, what uh, has it been a a month, roughly five weeks, whatever that's been a very quick turnaround. And, And in a fight where even though he knocked out Matt Brown with that head kick, it was competitive up to that think, point. Well, we can go back on our shows and listen. I think I said that. Yeah. We both were discussing that. Like, you know what? I'm a friend of Cerrone's. Yeah. I don't like that he's taking this fight that quickly. Yeah. I, you know, turning around, and I, I realize fighting in Denver, you know, hometown. Yeah. But it's like, but you know, how do you argue with a guy that constantly goes out there and proves the statistics wrong? It's like, yeah. well, I don't think it's a good idea. And then he does it. You know, moving up to welterweight, fighting, you know, Cote. I was one of the first people who was like, man, I really hate this fight. Mm-hmm. You're fighting a guy who's a very powerful, you know, welterweight. And then beat him Who's on come the down from 205, yep. come down from 185. Yep. This is a horrible matchup. Then goes out there and just completely annihilates him. So, yep. again, when he went to go fight in Denver, it's like, wait a minute. What, what is that? Four weeks? Three weeks? Yeah. You just had a pretty freaking 
battle with Matt Brown. I'm like, all right, man, you know, hey, you know, if anybody can do it, I guess you can. I don't think it's a good idea, but, you know, John O'Shroni's kind of, you know, Cowboys kind of made a career out of doing things that I don't think are good ideas. Yeah. And nine out of ten times, he's on the successful side of it. And here's one of those times where it just it didn't pay off. The thing I wonder about, I'm going to ask him this next time uh, I, I talk to him. And, in fact, I heard word that uh, I heard word he was in town this uh like the week before. Yeah, he was here at the SHOT Show. Yeah, and that you guys, I guess there was texting or something, but you were headed out. And yeah, he texted me like a few hours before I was flying out. Yeah, yeah. I just made a joke. I'm like, hey, man, uh, next time just give me a little bit more heads up than two hours. Yeah, apparently he gives you the same notice on a podcast that he does on a fight. There he goes. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, let's just podcast. Yeah, let's just- yeah so uh, there, there's, a, there's a spoiler alert. I think there is a uh, Donald Cerrone uh, podcast uh, guest spot coming up on phone booth fighting here at some point uh, in the in the near future. But I, you know that's one thing I want to talk to him about because it does occur to me that as much as Dana says, oh gosh, I hate it when he does this, or you know, I'm sure it's frustrating to Greg Jackson too because as a trainer, you know, you want as many titles and things like that as possible. But you know what, it might just come down to, and this is the question I, I posed to Cerrone. Maybe he just doesn't care that much about the titles. You know, if he ever wins a title, awesome. But you know what he may be? He may be he may go down as the greatest fighter to never win a UFC title. I mean, who knows? He's still got fights ahead of him, but I'm just not sure he I'll bet that when when there is a factor in taking a fight that is is centered around a title shot. Hey, I'm a contender. I'm probably one fight away. Is this the one fight I want, or do I want to wait for this other one because it's probably more likely to win that one? That'll get me the title shot. I'll bet some of that stuff, I'll bet that kind of thing is just the furthest thing from his mind. You know what? It really is a hard situation because, again, like say if you were Donald's uh, Cowboys uh, manager, kind of what makes him great is that just fearlessness that he has. I mean, if you look yep. at his personal life, the guy is fucking repelling off mountains and falling. I remember one day I came into the gym. His heels of his feet were purple because one of the little things in the thing let loose. So he was repelling and he fell like 40 feet and slammed against the wall. And I'm like looking at him like going, bro, seriously? You know, like, <laughs> don't you think what we do for a living is damaging enough? Yeah, you know, yeah. the morning of fights, it's out, you know, uh, you know, uh, wakeboarding and you know what he was doing the night before the fight with Masvidal went to see Steel Panther I mean <laughs> not that that's physically endangering but he was must have been out till two in the morning yeah 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 so I mean just, I just the bring guy, that up because we're friends with Steel yeah. Panther but I mean it just goes to show you you know he's whether it's it's rock concerts or rock climbing he's yeah, yeah. the guy I mean that's why he has a scar on his stomach you know yeah. was, the four-wheeling accident almost you know would have crippled most other human beings. And not only did he survive that, you know, having his guts ripped out, basically, you know, put it back inside his body and it hasn't slowed him down a bit. So I guess my point is like, do you slow him down? Like, I mean, obviously Donald is a fearless warrior, you know, Mm -hmm. in all aspects, his personal life and also his uh, business life. Right. As far as going for fights, he's just, you know, Hey, line him up. I'll knock him down. Yeah. You, you kind of need somebody to, pull the reins on him going well no 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 we're not going to go that direction we're going to go this direction but that's kind of what makes him great at the same time i heard the argument one time about john jones right they were like you know 
I brought up the point that when John had the problem where they found, you know, uh, uh, the uh, metabolites of cocaine in his system just a month before I think he fought Daniel Cormier. Yep. You know, or, or yeah, and you know he beat Daniel down, you know, for five rounds, handed him his ass. And so then, like, okay, well, now he's going to be on parole or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the case would be, they're really going to be looked after. And, you know, now you have a case where John's just working out all the time, stay, you know, not staying out all night, you know, and really, you know, uh, you know, doing things a fighter you would think would be doing. And I brought up the point where I was like, well, shit, that's pretty scary. Could you imagine the guy's the number one fighter in the world? And he's been fucking partying and hanging out and doing all kinds of crazy shit. Imagine now what's going to happen mm-hmm. if he actually takes his training as serious as some of these other athletes take it. Mm-hmm. What, what could happen? Then someone else said, or it could be worse. I'm like, what do you mean? That might be what makes him who he is. That, you know, skipping a practice to go out all night and, you know, that, that party kind of guy might we where he gets his edge from and now if you put that guy in a container and tell him that we're gonna wake up go to sleep you know it's gonna be eat (laughs) eat and train all day long you might not have the same warrior on your hands Mm. so i guess that could be the same thing said about donald it's like well you know the guy just you know is fearless he'll jump in the fucking cage with a bear if you put him in there and say hey it's 50 bucks see what you can do and cowboy's gonna jump in there and try to fucking wrestle that motherfucker but if you sit there and start guiding him away from things, does that does does that take away from him, or does mm-hmm. it, do we need Cowboy to be the Cowboy that he is and just run into fights three weeks, two weeks notice in between fighting six, seven times a year? Here's what I think. I think that when Cowboy Cerrone is fifty, sixty years old, he is going to be one of the most consistently popular people to appear at UFC Fight Expos, you know, that the autograph lines, the old timers, the Hall of Famers, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think he will be one of the most consistently popular people. And if he never wins a title, that autograph line won't be any shorter. I don't I think there will be anybody who oh, won't get in that line because, oh, well, wait a second, he never he never won. And maybe he still will. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it matters a bit. Well, you know, I think, too, that I think the reason why also, I mean, there's many reasons why people gravitate to him. I think one thing that really sticks out to me is that there's a lot of people that are fighting right now just to make money. That yeah. money comes first. And I think that cowboy embraces just, he just wants to fight. Whether they paid him $2 or 200000 or $2 million, he doesn't give a shit. And I think that's what people like about him is that he legitimately embodies. If you watched a movie right now and they had to make a character on a UFC fighter, he's the yeah. character. He's the yeah. guy. If you wrote him up, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a UFC fighter. Just doesn't, you know, at any moment, just jump in the cage, fight anybody, jump back into his uh, RV and ride down to the beach and party with his friends and you know, ride bikes afterwards. Like, that's him. You know what I mean? Almost the point where it wouldn't even be believable. Yeah. It would be almost like, okay, man, that's too much of a character. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why, are guys really going to call someone out three weeks after, you know, the, in a fight card? Come on. I mean. Yeah. No, it's, it, that's true. And uh, so, you know, and it, it's, it, I think also, you know, for his fans, um, even seeing him get beaten like that, it's not, it doesn't burst any balloons. I mean, it's still 
and even in a way, even in defeat, it's still why you like him as a fighter. You know, well, you know what? He stepped up. He took that fight on short notice. He wanted it. He he yeah. gave it his best. It's okay. Yeah, we'll jump s- in the cage and fight a bear, man. Yeah, we'll see him. Uh, we'll see him again, and it might be in three weeks. You know, we'll just have yeah. yeah if, if they'll let I'm him fight. I'm hoping they we'll go ahead and let him take a rest. Yeah, I hope so I hope so too. Uh, somebody that I don't think force gonna, him, not let him. I guess yeah, exactly. Force. Somebody <laughs> I think we're not going to be seeing take too much of a rest uh, after his uh, first round KO of Andre Arlovsky, Frank is Francis Ngannou. Yeah, this was a big. Uh, this was a big test for Ngannou taking on Arlovsky. And uh, Olofsky was never even able to, to to be in the fight very much. And Ganu knocks this guy out and knocks Arlovsky out. And what do you think of this guy, Frank? I mean, this is somebody who Dana White himself is saying could possibly be, uh, you know, a, a future UFC heavyweight champion. I mean, I know we haven't seen a lot of him. Uh, it's just a, a handful of fights. And Arlovsky is by far the biggest name opponent. But uh so far, pretty damn impressive. Yeah, so far, so good. I mean, he had that great Kimura just uh, recently, and then now a knockout over Andre. Uh, Andre obviously had a lot more experience, and I think it's more technical, the two fighters. But that's the one thing that's funny. I, I was actually talking to McSweeney. We're in Australia, and we watched the knockout At the happen. airport. Yeah, for way too long. While you're recovering from your heat stroke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're looking at the fight, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, man, that's the thing about Andre. There's times he gets hit, and he goes unconscious, mm-hmm. and there's times he gets hit by guys that hit extremely hard, and he doesn't. Like we, we don't understand what the the middle mm. ground is. Yeah, where like you know some guys are chinny, and you just you touch them, they fall down, and it's consistent. But Andre's strange in that sense, where it's like you know knocking Andre out now. Brett Rogers knocked Andre out, you know, but then Andre's fought myself and other guys that can hit hard and not get knocked out. I mean, shit, he fought Anthony Johnson at heavyweight. Anthony Johnson, who hits extremely hard, hit him so hard that he broke his jaw. Yeah. Broke Andre's jaw. So he landed the shot. He landed it on his chin, landed it hard enough to snap his jaw, and Andre loses on a decision. He gets his jaw broken in the first round and fights two more rounds with a broken jaw against Anthony Johnson. That you know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. I still can't find rhyme nor reason to his chin. You know, it's like, well, sometimes he falls down, sometimes he doesn't. You know, so um, you know, not taking it away from Anthony and Gano, I'm just more my frustration with Andre. Yeah. It's like I don't get it, man. Sometimes you know you can't be knocked out. Other times, you know, people hit you with a jab and you fall down. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, you know what uh, Jennifer's biggest concern was seeing Arlovsky get knocked out. She said. Do you think Maximus knows when he loses Maximus Arlovsky, uh, uh, Andre's dog, who we both love very much? But uh, Jennifer follows Maximus on Instagram and everything, and and uh, she was very concerned that Maximus might have seen that. He might be uh, watching television and know when, uh, when uh, his dad got KO'd. All right, uh, Dana White said this week, Frank, that uh, Ronda Rousey is likely done fighting. He he didn't quote her directly. He didn't offer real specifics. Anybody. No, but it is it's pretty um, it's pretty direct information coming from him. You know, he, he his his favorite saying is, you know, let's see how this thing plays out. And uh, although he didn't give a guarantee, he said, yeah, my feeling is she's she's probably done. So that tells me that she's told him she's probably done. Um, you know, it's 
weird about this is I don't know that I have ever, I'm trying to think if I have ever seen a fighter so dominant for so long and then if they either say that they are probably done or maybe due to injury or I mean I think we all had this question about Anderson Silva for example when his leg was broken with right. with Chris Weidman you know if you're thinking well could they ever come back I mean they might be forced out I don't think I've ever I ever remember having a fighter who went from being so incredibly dominant to and maybe this is just kind of my mindset but just kind of going yeah all right you know, probably about done with that. Well, I don't think we've had that many fighters. Uh, well, I mean, besides probably Connor, who's made as much money as she has. Oh, no, no one in the money in the money department. Right. And then I think Connor has made more money probably in the octagon. Yeah. But as far as outside the octagon, Connor hasn't really broken into the other stream of media. Yeah. We haven't seen him making any cameos in movies or TV shows to the level that she has. So I think that you know that she has other options that are very uh, financially rewarding. Oh, for sure. You know, and I think that a lot of times that's what you don't see. A lot of times a, a fighters, you know, that's where they make their living. And yeah. even if they have the occasional a cameo or a commercial, um, that's not going to pay, you know, the lifestyle that they're probably accustomed to. So, uh, you know, the drive to try to bounce her back in there just isn't there. I'll tell you where I thought about it. Uh, prior was Brock. When when Brock lost to Kane and then uh, you know was basically kicked into retirement by uh, uh, Alistair Overeem at that point I was kind of like eh, you know I don't okay you know I don't I wasn't real concerned about whether or not he'd be fighting again or who it would be against or things like that as opposed to Anderson Silva or or GSP for that matter I mean you know when GSP went out it was like oh man you know the guy still you know, I mean, a lot of people thought that he beat Johnny Hendricks. I mean, is, you know, arguably on top of his game here. I mean, this is really, is he going to be gone? When is he coming back? I mean, people are still asking yeah. when he's going to come back. And I just don't feel like there's going to be that kind of sustaining. I mean, not that she's going to be, of course, forgotten by any stretch of the imagination. No, but she I put him in May's fighting on the map. Yeah, I just feel like it's more of a, if she is done, I guess it just feels like more of a closed chapter than it does with some other fighters where you're like, okay, well, maybe it's a break and maybe they're coming back. And, you know, like I said, the way we still talk about GSP a couple of years later. Yeah. I, I, like I said, uh, I don't know. I think also, too, the way she lost. Yeah. And, uh, well, and I think also, too, all her antics leading up yes, to this last fight. That's just part of it, too. Man, just, there's a lot for her to, yep. you know, she's going to have to go down the humble route now. I think trying to come out being, you know. The, yeah. You know, no, uh, you know what? That's part of it too. Because and and I'm probably internalizing a little bit of that just from the media perspective. Because it was like it's weird how that week, like with the new, leading up to the Nunez fight, it it feels like all that I've all we've really done is in the last year is talk a lot about how Ronda Rousey is not talking to anyone. So like we talked about that way more yeah. than we did, you know, what she's doing to physically prepare for a return to the cage because we just weren't hearing anything about it. Well, I think that we just couldn't get a really 
a bearings on her mindset. Yeah. No, I think that's, I mean, when you're interviewing a fighter, you want to find out where they are. Yeah. What's their mindset? Uh, what are they focused on? What What's going on? What direction are they trying to go? And the media blackout with Ronda just caused it to a really, no one knew. It's like, do you yeah. want to fight? Do you not want to fight? Okay, you want to fight. And, we're, and we never really heard it from her so much as we heard it from Dana. Heard it from the people around her. Oh, she wants this. She wants this. She wants that. It's like, well, I mean, how is she dealing with the last fight? How is she dealing with this? We're not going to talk about that. I'm like, well, shit, that's a lot of unanswered questions. So then you really leave it only up for us watching the performance. And then now we're judging you by your actions. It's like, well, you just walked out and just left. You didn't go to the press conference. It's mm-hmm. like, well, shit, do you even want to do this? Well, and for there to be a performance that left no room for interpretation. So even if it had been a performance, let's say she had even lost, but let's just say it was somewhat competitive. Right. Then you could at least have a debate of going, hey, you know what? Maybe this media blackout thing, maybe that's what she needs. You know, it was probably smart of her to do it. She looked pretty good in there. She got caught. But, you know, you, none of that is being said because none of that happened. No, not at all. No. All right. Well, I, I mean, if anything, people are saying that she had 13 months to improve upon yeah. her footwork and and – she didn't. She actually. It looked like she looked worse than she did against Holly. I mean, it was only a few seconds into it, but when she started going out there, I never really got the feeling that Ronda ever looked awkward before. Mm-hmm. But in this opening fight against Amanda, didn't she look awkward? Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, she just the way she held her hands. Yeah. The kind of the way her legs were. It's like, wow, she looks a little off. And he, you know, even in the Holly home fight, it's like there were there 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 was uh. Up until the, the the finish, there were repeated attempts at problem solving. I mean, she she did not have an answer for Holly that night, but it wasn't like she wasn't trying to work with the situation and solve whatever she could. Right. You know. Um, all right. Well, if uh, if that is indeed the end, the good news is is that uh, she has left. Uh, a very interesting division, and for that matter, an entire uh, gender of a sport in very good shape because there's a lot of interesting people to uh, talk about. Speaking, you know, I was talking about going to real MMA uh, the other night. Misha Tate was uh, out there. I saw her. Speaking of recently retired fighters, I just thought I should give that a quick shout out to uh, our real MMA partners out there. But, uh, you know, you just think about, you know, for so long it was only the Ronda Rousey show. And now we've got uh, not only, you know, uh, star names, but we've got multiple divisions. We're about to have a third uh, women's division with the uh, featherweight uh, uh, fight coming up with uh, Holly Holm and uh, Jermaine Durandamy. Uh, all right, let's uh, do this before we go. I got to tell you real quick, Frank, about my uh, my trip to the Magic Castle in L.A. So you've never heard of this? No. Okay. Uh, it was Jennifer's birthday this weekend, so uh, Monday to be exact, so happy birthday to her. And she wanted to go to L.A., and uh, she wanted to go to the Magic Castle. Now, we... So we just did kind of a quick turnaround trip to L.A. I knew we wouldn't be doing any podcast business because you were uh, having heat strokes abroad. So I knew it would be a few days before you got home. So uh, I didn't mention that to her. You know, I didn't say, hold on, let me check with the podcast schedule first before we celebrate your birthday. But, you know, I was thinking. Um, just to let our listeners know, I'm, I wouldn't let them down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Right. I'm kidding. I'm going we, with we, it. Though. I'm I kidding. Got you. We would have. We would have worked it out one way or another. She, she's. Very, were, I wouldn't have done that. Come on. 
She's very accommodating. Yeah, as opposed to you. How many hours were we into that one podcast before anybody realized, including you, it was your wedding anniversary? Remember that one? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, it was Jennifer's birthday. She wanted to go to L.A. So we stayed at the Roosevelt Hotel. Have you ever been there? I don't know. It's on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, The Roosevelt Hotel is a very cool hotel. It was built in the 1920s. Uh, by uh, uh, Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford, who was an old silent film star. They had the first Academy Awards ever there in 1929, a ceremony that lasted 15 minutes uh, and was in just the size of kind of a large ballroom because there weren't that many movies back then. A lot of uh, Hollywood stars have stayed there. Marilyn Monroe lived there for a few months. Clark Gable and Carol Lombard had their famous affair uh, go on for months in that hotel, Montgomery Clift. The I Love Lucy season, where they went to uh, Hollywood for Ricky to be in a movie, they stayed at the Roosevelt Hotel. So this place has a lot of really cool history. That's cool. We stayed there, uh, got a, a cabana room by the pool. It's right next door to Jimmy Kimmel's theater where he films his show, and it's also down there on Hollywood Boulevard, the Walk of Fame, so all the stars and all that kind of stuff on the uh, on the sidewalk. Right across the street is the Chinese theater where all the uh, movie stars have their handprints and the cement. Yep. You've probably seen that. Okay. That have. So that's the area of that town. I've walked that, around. Yeah. Anyway. So that's the area of town that uh, we were in. Now, the Magic Castle, I knew about because I have stayed uh, multiple times in the room where Janice Joplin OD'd. And that is at a hotel called the Highland Gardens. And the Magic Castle is next door to the Highland Gardens. It's exactly as it sounds it's a giant three story castle up on a hill, I think, plus a basement. Uh, up on a big hill uh, with a windy uh, driveway to get up to the top. So I'd never really gone up there and looked or anything, but I knew it was there. So On a side note, mm-hmm. I do find it funny that if someone stays in a room where someone died, yes. that's usually a bad thing. Right. But if that person's famous, you can charge extra. Not only that, <laughs> I've, I've done it multiple times. <laughs> I went back. Think about it. Yeah. If some just crackhead hooker that's right. dies in a room, they're probably not going to tell people. No. Nope. But if that crackhead hooker's famous. That's right. <laughs> that is very, very true. Uh, and so I, I knew of this magic castle, but I didn't really know a lot about what the what, what it was about, what, it, what the deal was. And it turns out you have to have a membership to get in, or you have to know a member. You have to be invited by a member. So it's kind of like like a country club basically really? yeah right. you can't just walk in the door so uh jennifer has a uh a client who uh uh she does their uh hair and this uh woman her husband have a membership there so she said oh well you know you can be our guests so she gave her the guest pass so the deal is, I knew it had something to do with magic and magicians. I knew that there were a lot of uh, big names like David Copperfield. I mean, people that had come through there over the years. I knew they were somehow associated with it. But I really didn't understand how the whole evening worked. So the deal is, you get a reservation uh, for a, a set time for dinner there's a strict dress code. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, coat and tie kind of thing, cocktail attire for ladies, no denim, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so 
You get your dinner reservation, and then it is actually exactly what it sounds like, an evening of magic. So we go in there. We had reservations for like uh, 8 o'clock dinner. You can get in as early as, I think, 5 o'clock in the evening. So you go in this giant castle that's been there since I think around the I think around 1930 somewhere around there and it's been the magic castle since the 60s so this this place has been in business as the magic castle for for uh, a number of decades and so what you do is so our dinner reservation was at 6 you walk in you're standing in what appears to be a library they say step over to that bookshelf and say open sesame to the owl on the the bookshelf and you say it in the bookcase moves and you now walk into the castle. So even with a couple hours before your dinner reservation, you can move around this castle and in all the different rooms, they have different magicians doing a magic act and they have several theaters in there. So they're like seated theaters that could probably fit like 50 people, 60 people and you get a, with your dinner reservation, you get a ticket to one of those seated shows. But there are maybe upwards of a dozen magicians performing in rooms of various sizes. Some of them have schedule times, and then some of them it's just like improv. Like some of them, they're not even set times. There's just a table where if they are members of the American Magicians Association, I think that's the deal. It can't just be anybody. You have to have this accredited thing. If you're a member of it, you can just show up and perform. So we're moving around to the basement, to the attic, to the, all these little rooms, what like 15 minutes at a time, watching these different people do magic. And as cool as some of the shows were, and we saw some real orchestrated shows with like some, uh, um, you know, like uh, uh, big stage setups and and uh, all this kind of stuff. Like there was a guy, Jeff McBride. He was kind of the he was on the biggest stage of the evening. He's a Vegas guy. Uh, he works here in Vegas. Who had a very you know more elaborate stage setup and all that kind of stuff. He was very cool to watch. And we got to connect with him uh, uh, now that I know he's a Vegas guy. He was like on the big end of the spectrum. But there was a guy that I saw there who was my personal highlight. His name was Evan Disney. This guy was in the wine cellar in just this little room where you could maybe cram 10 people into it. And he, he wasn't advertised as being on like a set time or anything. We just sat down at his little table just like you would if somebody was dealing blackjack. This guy did sleight of hand stuff that was a foot from my face. I mean, he had me participating in these card tricks and these different things that he did that I just have no idea how he did it. I mean, that's a classic thing you say right. about magicians, but it was so interesting to watch just a foot from your face watching and the dexterity that some, cause you know, they're not sorcerers. I mean, you know that whatever some of us, yeah, <laughs> you know that some what, of us know that. <laughs> yeah. You know that whatever they're doing, there's a way that they're doing there's it, a trick behind but it, it is a foot from your face and you have no idea and you're watching their hands and you're like, what is it? And you just cannot 
uh, figured out. I want, for sure, I wanted to give that guy a shout out, Evan Disney, because uh, he just really blew my mind with that close up slide of hand stuff. And just the fact that he was just one of the guys dropping in. You know, he wasn't really even on like the advertise. It's like when you show up and do a guest set at a comedy club. You know, I mean, that's how impromptu some of the performances can be. But we, we ate dinner. They had a vegan option for us. That was nice. And it's also thing, it's also like a really nice dinner, too. So, you know, you're talking about like, you know, five star cuisine type stuff. Then. When you're done eating, the place stays open till like probably one in the morning. So you can continue to move around and go to a bunch of other shows, room to room. And the thing is so sprawling that you get lost in this castle. I mean, you really like at some point you're like, I'm so turned around in here. Like you lose track of where the front of the place was. And it was packed. It's packed in there. This real sort of throwback vibe on a Sunday night. And, you know, when we were done, we must have seen, I don't know, eight or ten different magicians, you know. And we'd been in there for five hours at least, and it felt like it just flew by. I mean, Wow, that sounds really cool. It was really cool. It was, And we talked about you. I was like, you know what, you, you and, and, and Jennifer both and the kids probably, for that matter, would really like it. Because it's like, it is like being in a Scooby-Doo episode, you know, with moving staircases and mystery and all the rest of that. And then watching the skill level of these guys was just mind-blowing. So anyway, in, in the history of it, too, I mean, the fact that it went all the way back to the, you know, the 60s, they had like you know, pictures on the wall of where, you know, people like David Copperfield had performed there in the 60s and the 70s and, you know, some of the, the older uh, magicians. I don't know. You know, I didn't see anything from uh, our friend Chris Angel, but I surely he's been through there at some point, and it'd be interesting to talk to him to see if he's uh, got any interesting stories about that place because, anyway, it was a it was an awesome new discovery, and it's just weird that I've been to L.A. as many times as I have been by that place as many times as I have, but not known exactly what it was. I never knew it existed. Mm-mm. And that's kind of the cool thing about it is it's not advertised so heavily that, you know, the, the place itself has got a little bit of mystery about it, you know. But, uh, but I'll tell you what, I've been once, and I'll definitely be back uh, again uh, very soon. So uh, uh, if you're in L.A., check out the uh, Magic Castle. You will not be disappointed. Frank, let's wrap this show by reading a couple of uh, submissions on our uh, Facebook feedback, shall we? These are people who contacted us via our Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. They were so kind as to leave a comment or two. So now we are going to return the favor by reading them on the air. Frank, uh, what do you have? Hi, Richard and Frank. Our England rugby team have started practicing some MMA to help improve. Even though we're pretty good anyway, I'd love to hear yours and Frank's thoughts as if you can find time. Right. Um, they that, gave us a, that's Daniel Mason from Daniel Mason in the UK. His rugby team uh, from his home country has started practicing MMA. Well, that's probably a question for you, Frank. Anything right off the bat you could see uh, uh, MMA wise helping out a rugby player? Well, I think just understanding how the human body moves. Yeah. Uh, as far as tackling and taking guys down. And then, I mean, then on the dark side of it, those guys are in some piles. And I'm sure that if I was piled up, I could figure out a way to <laughs> make it to a guy, you know, it's like, you know, wrap up a guy's leg. It's like, oh, that was a tackle. No, nah, that was a toehold. And now you're, <laughs> you're out of the game. I don't know what happened. 
<laughs> well, keep us uh, posted, Daniel, on how the rugby team with the MMA training does uh, in this uh, upcoming season. Or maybe they're in season. I don't know my rugby seasons very well. But uh, thanks for uh, the message, Daniel. We appreciate it. One of our uh, good listeners. Uh, all right, here's another one. This one, uh, Frank, from Tony Gillespie. He says, okay, I've been listening to the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast for a long time now. And in the beginning, I just enjoyed the MMA talk in between listening to other MMA podcasts. It quickly became much more and is up there as one of the uh, of the most entertaining podcasts I listen to each week. Uh, Richard uh, Hunter and I, that's me, uh, could not be more politically opposed. <laughs> but I enjoy how much thought and critical thinking you put into your points. Well, this is a guy who hopefully enjoyed the first part of this podcast because we got heavy on the politics, yes, did. as we do sometimes. Also, I consider myself a Christian, but I keep my personal beliefs to myself and never try to convince others that I'm correct. Mir has been one of my favorite fighters since I started watching MMA. Keep up the entertaining shows, and we can always use some more hooker stories. <laughs> Have a great night, fellas, from Tony Gillespie. Thank you, Tony. Um, more hooker stories uh, will be forthcoming, I assure you. I just collected a few new ones uh, just this past week at my day job at the brothel, so I'll be oh. sharing those. You know, and, and speaking of someone who's a Christian, I've always wondered that about when you have those Christians that are angry when you're not Christian, and I, I'm not just pointing out Christians, it could be, well, the Muslims seem pretty angry when you're an infidel. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they, they have maybe even a more horrific way of dealing with it. But, you know, if you felt like you knew the secret password to a club yeah, and I didn't want to know the password, like unless I'm a family member, or, you know, or, I don't know. You, you ever get that where the guys get really angry at mm-hmm. you? It's like. Hey, does your the immortal soul rely upon mm-hmm. me believing what you believe in? I don't know. The problem is those guys see themselves as like used car salesmen with quotas. That the boss is going to be mad if you didn't get somebody else to drive something off the lot. You know what I mean? That I they're going to have that, to answer for that. I think that people like... Uh, like Tony? Like Tony here. Mm-hmm. Um, are probably more secure with their oh, beliefs. 100%. Yes. So that's why... I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I think the religious people that are not secure with their thought, I think it threatens them mm-hmm. that somebody does not think the way they do. Regardless of what religion you are, I think that, that some of those insecure religious individuals are more threatened by an atheist or an agnostic individual than they are by somebody who is of a other faith. Because at least if they're of another faith, they still believe in something, some kind of doctrine mm-hmm. of thought that there is a soul, that there's an afterlife, and there's rules, and there's a higher power, whatever the you know case may be. But you know, I've always wondered that. It's like, oh, well, you know, why do you really care that much? Why are you so angry? And mm-hmm. I've realized, like, well, because if I don't believe that, that kind of questions your thought, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, like, it's like the guy who's real upset that you're gay. Yes, <laughs> there's a great example. I, I know we kind of harp on that one a lot, but it's yeah. kind of true. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, you know, like, look, you know, it, if somebody came in the gym, I remember that I was asked that question because uh, Nogera answered that question very poorly. Mm. And it's like, hey, you know, would you roll, you know, and jujitsu is very physical yes. with someone who's gay. I'm like, I don't care. I mean, are they flamboyant about it? I mean, mm-hmm. are you coming in in a leopard leotard and lipstick and screaming with, you know, uh, streamers and, you know, running around, you know, like, you know, like, I mean, come on. I mean, 
But on the flip side, like when I roll with somebody, I don't really care about your sexual conquests at all. It's like, we're not really talking about that. I mean, next time you're my guard, I don't want you to sit there and go, you know what? I had a hooker the other night just like this. It's like, yo, dude, what are you doing? Like, we're not there right now. This is not the mindset you're supposed to be having. Homo or heterosexual thought process. It's like, why why is sex all of a sudden coming up? And why are you thinking about sex right now, man? I I think if I'm in your guard and that physical experience is reminding me of a hooker i was just with i've got way bigger problems <laughs> hey olga gets some money now. <laughs> yeah. yeah but when you get those people like ah oh, man it's gay it's like you know what i, I remember i even said that to nogara you know what i mean uh, or, or about it i'm like buddy especially because you're down there in brazil yeah if you think you haven't rolled with somebody oh yeah that's gay <laughs> you're delusioned yeah. you know i'm pretty sure i mean i've trained most my adult all my adult life almost almost my whole life i remember my first karate competition i was like five years old mm-hmm. i'm sure that through all my years of competing that i've probably beaten lost to smashed you know exchanged you know uh, you know fists with people that don't have the same sexual orientation that i do and it doesn't make it to where I haven't lost anything. It doesn't take anything away from me. I haven't all of a sudden rolled with a guy that was kind of a little sugary in the shorts and, and then it gave me a twinkle in my eye. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, hey, you like what you like? I mean, you and I right now can sit here and talk about what women we like and you and I don't like exactly the same. You know, what do you find hot? What do I find hot? What the hell does that matter if we're going to train together? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, I, I, I think that uh, there's definitely something to the theory of protesting too much. Yes. Uh, as Shakespeare would, would tell us. All right, how about one more to close it out here? Oh. You got one more there? Oh, I do, I another, do. Uh, Put the paper down too soon. Another listener. Uh, hey, guys. This one's from uh, uh, Tyler Mine. Milne. Oh, shit. I'm I think it's Milne. Milne? M-I-L-N-E. I'm going to go with Milne. All right, I'll go with yours because we know I'm not the best at pronouncing no. names. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys. I've been listening to the podcast uh, since pretty much day one. The variety of subjects discussed is what gets me coming back every week. I really enjoy Frank's stories from early days in the UFC as well as Richard's wild brothel stories. I, I think your brothel stories really trump my fight stories, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sex is the number one motivator, yeah. man. <laughs> I recently got my blue belt in BJJ and wanted to tell you guys that the podcast is a serious motivator to keep me on training, getting better. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, right man. on. Much love from Vancouver. Uh, keep on killing it, guys. Thank you, Tyler. All right. That's very nice to oh, hear. I'm glad that it helps inspire other people to do things. You know, yep. I mean? you know what? I'm that way. Like, I find that it is very helpful for me um, just to, you know, my low level of training, like to, you know, put on a, you know, an EBI tournament or something in the background or a little, uh, you know, just any kind of jujitsu discussion or something like that. It just kind of gets me in that mindset to to go train it is kind of nice to just hear people talk about it you know probably just the same way that you know you hear people talk about going to uh uh you know whatever kind of physical exercise they do it just kind of reminds you that oh yeah i'm, I'm supposed to be doing that i'm in that group you know i, yeah. 
I want to be part of that conversation. And I think also, too, insight that people, you know, I mean, you and I can be pretty much the two main prongs of individuals that go into a a gym to train. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody such as yourself, who you have your nine to five Mm -hmm. at the brothel that Mm -hmm. everybody's interested in. Right. But, you know, you train martial arts because you enjoy it. And then there's somebody that has taken it to the level that I have that gets paid, and that is my job. And, you know, I don't get to go to the brothel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The irony of it is you make the money that you could spend there and you cannot spend it there yeah. if i told you my joke it didn't go over very well let me go ahead and tell it i've had people come up to me you know i'm like man i bet you you know get access to all kinds of the greatest you know uh, you know the women in the world i'm like you know what it's kind of like being uh the, the most coveted pet at the pet store mm. i'm at the window it's glass i can see all the things walking by me and but I can't get out. No. <laughs> I got married and, uh, you know, uh, you, you make that decision. It's like, well, I could do this or I could. Right. You're for display purposes only. I'm only for display. You can watch me on television. You can't take me home. Well, you can uh, listen to this podcast in a variety of places, soon to be uh, watching it as well on our Phone Booth Fighting YouTube channel. But in the meantime, you can get it via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, uh, a whole host of other uh, apps I know that are out there just at the good old phoneboothfighting.com. You can hear us upload twice weekly. Uh, I think we fudged on that the last week uh, or so. Blame but, Australia. Uh, yeah, man. yeah, blame Australia. Uh, no Australia for a while now. So, uh, uh, Hell no. We'll, we'll, uh, I still feel like garbage. You know, <laughs> I, I got home Tuesday at 10 a.m. Yeah. It is now Wednesday night at almost midnight, and I'm yeah. still exhausted. Yeah, I can tell. You know, it's interesting. You When I first got here, I was like, oh, boy, you look really. But you know what? The, the podcast always livens you up a little yeah, bit. It's a good conversation with you, man. spirited conversation, yeah. But, but now we're done, so you get to go back to bed and hibernate oh, some more i have been yawning like crazy yeah yeah for frank mirror i'm richard hunter we appreciate oh, yeah you forgot my part man you know what i did Holy I shit. Did. you know what i was so interested in tucking you into bed i forgot about your very important yeah. uh, role in the formatics you here. never okay. forget that here we go social media uh follow me on twitter and instagram at richard hunter i am on facebook at official richard hunter that guy frank mirror he is official frank mirror on facebook and he's on twitter and instagram at the frank mirror but those are our individual profiles we have a collective profile in the phone booth fighting social media space and for more on that here's frank here we go so on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us on Phone Booth Fighting. And if you're into Snapchat or Twitter, you can find us on Phone Booth Fight. Perfect. Remember to go to earthsbrew.com, enter the promo code Phone Booth at checkout, and save 10% on all of your orders. Appreciate those guys supporting us. Go to phoneboothfightingshop.com to purchase your official Phone Booth Fighting merchandise. We ship that stuff worldwide, whatever country you're uh, in. Unless you're on one of the seven-band countries, List. I think Donald Trump now precludes us from shipping T-shirts to your country. I'll check on it. I'll call him. I'll tweet him, and I'll find out if I can uh, still ship your shirts to Yemen. But uh, other than that, uh, we pretty much have you covered. And remember to go to pbfpodcast.com. If you're doing your Amazon uh, shopping, click on our Amazon banner. Do your shopping through Amazon by clicking through our Amazon banner. won't cost you anything extra, and it does help to support the show. That's at pbfpodcast.com. For Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter, and we'll see you next time on Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was
But they fought with 